For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Calling a court case uh, last night and it makes the papers this morning of these three guys who uh, blackmailed a teenager by threatening to send explicit photographs from the girl's OnlyFans account. Um, they were blackmailing her that they were going to send these explicit photographs of her to her family and her, her friends and share them. I think they even sent a photograph of her family's home and even perhaps uh, other photographs as well. Very threatening and menacing behaviour of these th- three characters. One was 21, uh, the other was uh, um, in as a 26-year-old, two brothers, 21 and 26, and a third character then was 37 years old. Um, They blackmailed her and said that she had to give them €10,000. Thankfully, thankfully, and God knows not everybody would, she went to the guards and the guardie told her to, um, you know, contact and meet up with the blackmailers or at least arrange to meet up to pay the €10,000. So she went to the bank pretended to withdraw the cash and went to the location in Dublin where she was advised that she should leave it near a certain car and where the car would be parked. All that was done. Gardaí pounced. They were arrested. Now, uh, the youngest of them, a fellow called David Ostrowski, a 21-year-old, he was the guy who told his older brother about this girl and her account. And then the older brother told a third character uh, and then they started the blackmail. Now, the youngest guy, Ostrowski, the guy who told his brother about this girl's online account, or sorry, OnlyFans account, um, probably won't get jail and will get 150 hours of community service. I think the guard uh, sentenced the other two to three and a half years and, and two years, respectively. But the youngest guy, um, well, young, if you consider somebody at that age being uh, too young for jail, uh, but he probably will get a suspended sentence and community service in se- instead. And they figure one of the reasons is because he had... Uh, no previous. I tell you, he's one lucky guy if he, he doesn't go to jail. The other two will because that is a menacing thing to do. You know, she must have been absolutely uh, terrified uh, with this blackmail threat, really and truly. And, you know, it could lead to self-harm in some cases and others, of course, having to perhaps leave where, leave, live, leave where they live and move abroad. It's an awful, awful story. Uh, meanwhile, Katrina Toomey uh, dominates the Echo very much this week and rightly so because we need to hear what she has to say. This morning she's telling stories of, um, you know, people now whose employers are letting them sleep at their place of work overnight uh, because of uh, housing crisis, because also of an energy crisis. And they're aware of a number of people that are in that situation, living in a workplace. Just when you think it couldn't get any worse, and we're not even into the real winter yet, uh, it does get worse. And you've got 100,000 now without a bed in hospital this year alone. So overcrowding in hospitals is at an unprecedented level. And we are being warned of this year in, year out. The IMO warns us about this. The Nurses Union warns us about this. And again, the IMO are warning again this morning. Uh, Trolleys are far from acceptable. Cancelled appointments, people not being able to get into hospital, people living with pain. So that's a number that, um, you know, is uh, implanted in everybody's brain. We're in the hundreds of thousands of people now uh, suffering. And that's probably why there are 22 cost of living protests planned across the country this weekend and also here in Cork. So we have the uh, cost of living coalition uh, will have protests all over the country, um, further cost of living protests planned. Uh, I don't know whether protests or gatherings like this make a blind bit of difference. I don't know whether politicians are listening. I don't know whether they're caught in the headlights and they just don't know which way to turn. You could say that about businesses. The mirror on its front page this morning has a small little greengrocer clobbered with energy costs and clobbered with electric bills. And uh, Fiona Flora Crow. 
who owns a family, little family-run gala store up in County Clare, has posted her three last bills. Um, the third bill ago was was um, fifteen thousand. Um, the bill before after it was twenty thousand. So if you look at two bills for a two-month period, €35,000. And she's saying that obviously, as plain as the nose on your face, shops will close because of skyrocketing costs. And then, of course, you have other people taking advantage. And there's an online story in The Independent this morning of the owner of Adrahada House, who posted uh, for rent that house on daft.ie. And the idea was to squeeze 22 people into a four-bedroom, semi-detached property. 22 people. Each of the 22 people would pay €500 per month rent, and that would mean a total rent roll for the owner of that property of €11,000 a month. That's, I assume that's not a prosecutable offence. It's not a criminal offence or anything like that. It's just the gouging that's going on there. So on the post, apparently, the owner of the property says that um, they have multiple bunk beds in the four bedrooms. Uh, and the idea was that, uh, and this is a quote, I have four shared rooms for four people. That's four people in each of the rooms. And they also have three shared rooms for two people. So when you do the maths on that, the proposal is to pack 22 people into a four-bedroom semi-detached, all sleeping on their own section of a bunk bed, paying €500 Euro a month with a rent roll and eye-watering. I mean, could you do that, like? Would you have any luck in life with that? €11,000 a month, which is close enough to €130,000 a year. And then, of course, another thing that they can't get right is the COVID bonus, particularly frontline health workers who are yet to receive their €1,000 COVID bonus. I bet you I'll get texts from people again because there's more than 80,000 people still haven't received the €1,000 bonus. It could have been done so simply. We live in a world now where everything is tech, everything is fast, everything is the click of a button or a mouse. But yet... They didn't manage to even get that one right. And of course, because of the cost of living crisis, the Independence front page says that the Garda Commissioner has linked the cost of living crisis to a sharp rise in the number of thefts. Rise in thefts linked to the cost of living crisis. Um, And you've got high inflation levels, meaning that people can buy less. And apparently, uh, the Garda are also warning businesses to expect an even bigger seasonal rise uh, with regards to break-ins and thefts and burglaries and shoplifting in the coming months apparently. It's a particular problem uh, in Dublin by all accounts. And then, um, this is interesting because uh, you you probably may or may not have known this, but the Department of Health did warn uh, Stephen Donnelly, I believe, and then Stephen Donnelly should have told the Department of Justice that the Department of Health were worried about extending pub hours but they never said anything, or at least he never said anything about it. But the HSE hasn't held back, and they have given the government a stark warning to the front of the examiner this morning about extending licensing hours, that it could lead to an increase in assaults and drink-driving incidents and general growing evidence that it will impact greatly uh, on chronic health harm. So that's a story that makes the examiner with the extension of not just uh, pubs, but late bars and indeed nightclubs. And of course, Micheál Martin is over at um, uh, COP27 and Ireland is going to pledge an extra 10 million to fight climate crisis. Lots of other countries actually have divvied up DOSH. Bigger countries are giving more. Australia, 50 million. Ireland, as I say, 10 million. Uh, You have other ones given, um, you know, whatever they can afford in some way, shape or form. They break it down. Scotland, um, you know, uh, Austria, 50 million. Germany, 
170 million, Denmark 100 million. Mind you, as they're pledging more money and aid for countries, particularly sub-world um, countries, um, most of the money will go to help them. Uh, everybody can also see from the papers this morning that, uh, by and large, um, our emissions go up, not down. So we haven't managed to turn any tide. I mean, we haven't got back to uh, the tipping point that we need to beat yet because things continue to rise. So do salaries, actually, for new hires. According to The Independent this morning, wages for new Irish hired workers rose by 5%, which is very much still short of what it should be if you look at the cost of living and prices 12 months ago. But at least they're saying that they're going up and not down. But um, how will the 3,000 staff working for Meta Facebook feel? Because they um, will find out today whether or not they still have a job. And they employ thousands of people, Cork, Dublin and Meath. And um, they employ about 84,000 people globally and 3,000 direct employees in Ireland. Um, and um, if you look at those 3,000 people, there's a further 6,000 people support its services then, you know, services that feed into Meta Facebook here in Ireland. And for those coming into the country, I know we touched on this before, but they have a more accurate figure now as to the amount of people who so far this year have come into this country claiming asylum but have not got a passport or any kind of documentation. Uh, the figure is 4,000 asylum seekers lost or destroyed their passports before reaching immigration control in Dublin airport this year. It's a heartbreaking story. Um, and then we have, the, of course, the other story is 55,000 Ukrainians seeking refuge from the Russian invasion. That's a completely different number. This is 4,000 who are coming here who clearly lost or destroyed their passports because they figured if they presented their passports or documentation, they wouldn't fit the criteria for asylum, so they destroy them. Uh, and just one or two interesting, light-hearted stories for you. Oh, actually, this isn't a light. This is, this is kind of a, a dangerous story, if you like. It's electric bikes. Amazon, apparently, are, giving, are getting a bit of grief because online you can buy a €99 Euro gadget from Amazon that will make your electric bike go faster. In the UK, the rule is... The the top speed for an electric bike is 15 miles per hour. Here, it's, I'd imagine it's the same. If you were to convert 15.5 miles per hour to kilometers, please tell me you'd get 25 kilometers because that's the, that's the fastest that an electric bike will go. It's the fastest my one will go anyway. But you can get these little gadgets that will double the speed. Um, and you can do up to 28 miles per hour. Don't know what that would be in kilometres. It's probably closer to around about 50 kilometres. That is fast now, particularly in a city or an urban setting. That's like a rocket. And if you buy two of the gadgets, apparently you can double the speed again. Don't know what kind of impact would have on your battery, though. Uh, you probably wouldn't be able to go as far. You'd be able to go faster, but probably not as far. And if you want to know the secret to happiness... The Independent this morning gives lots of them. I won't have time to go through all of them, but certainly, um, you know, not being a slave to your mobile phone is one of them. But some of the other ones is, if you're living in a rural area, go for a walk to a forest, a park or a beach. If you were to pick one of those three, which would you prefer walking in? Some people love walking on the beach. Others prefer walking in a public park and more, me included. My favourite walk is in a forest or a woods. I, I like it much more than a beach. I don't dislike beaches, but there's something beautiful about walking in a forest or a park. Perhaps you're like me, perhaps not. Uh, if you can eat with other people regularly, that'll make you happy. Write down the three funniest things that have happened to you during the day, every day, assuming you can find 
three funny things. Don't write down three sad things. That'll just negatise you. Uh, another one or two. Every night before bed, write down three things that went well for you that day. Uh, another one. Every day for the next week, reflect on the time when one door closed in your life and another one opened. And there's another lovely final one. Uh, write a letter to a relative or a friend who was kind to you but has never heard you express your gratitude. So they're lovely, aren't they? Nice little stories like that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, if you do lose your mobile phone, don't worry, there'll be another 17 of them come along. They say that in the course of our lifetime, we will buy 18 mobile phones. Uh, a poll of 2,000 mobile phone owners makes the mail today. 18 is the magic number. And another thing that everybody seems to want to buy, certainly over the last six months or so, are air fryers. I know I mentioned this some weeks ago. Papers are talking about air fryers again. They are a very healthy option. The things that you would normally deep fry. Air fry them instead. But Curry's is saying that sales of air fryers are up 150% from September of last year. And they run... Um, a fraction of the cost to run them by comparison to say an oven or a hob or whatever like an air fryer on average costs 64 euro a year to run an electric cooker closer to 400 euro a year to run and they do fabulous chips and they do gorgeous chicken on the bone not not a filleted chicken that'll just come out like a tennis ball but say chicken on the bone a supreme of chicken unbelievable from an air fryer also sausages are very good and I know you'll have your own ideas as to what's good in an air fryer but the very best thing that I ever ever made in an air fryer was a toasted ham and cheese sandwich. Somebody told me about it once and I posted photographs of it on my Instagram page when I did it and when they told me I just didn't believe them that you could do a toasted sandwich in an air fryer. But you can and it comes out absolutely perfect. Not with sliced pan cutty bread's your only man. The Neil Prenderville Show on Quartz Red FM. Two-time gold winner at the Emerald Radio Awards 2022. All right, I know you're up to speed. Um, let me just tell you as well about things that you eat. This is from a few days ago, but I've been trying to get it on the air for the last few days. I've been running out of time. Do you remember the controversy regarding bounty and removing the bounty suite from celebrations? And apparently, celebrations are trialling in the UK, removing the bounty suite. And I was very upset about it because it's my favourite suite in the bounty tub uh, and I don't want to see them go. We did a poll on it actually recently and even celebrations themselves jumped on to take a look at our Twitter poll. They didn't vote. They said to me, don't mind us Neil this is celebrations themselves. Don't mind us we're just here to look at the results and apparently 54% of you said you wanted the bounty left in. Unfortunately it's tight enough because 46% said they wanted it taken out. So I thought it would be a good idea uh, to find out exactly what Cork people thought about the bounty in the um, celebration tub or indeed whether it should be removed or not or on Lee's side what are people's favourite little sweetie in the Christmas uh, boxes um, whether it's celebrations or heroes or whatever the case may be and Claire took to the streets of Cork have a listen. I wouldn't be happy. I love the bounties. Oh, I think it'd be sad. Bounty, yeah, we used to like them before, but we were kind of leaving them aside. They're always left in the box. So you're happy to see them go? Yes. Well, to be honest, I never liked it. <laughs> so I don't mind that. We have bounties left from last Christmas. <laughs> Possibly before. You feel bad about throwing them away, but no one eats them. Oh, very disappointed. I absolutely love bounty. I think it's fantastic. I love the coconutty and the chocolate and everything else. And I would be disappointed. I like our box is always left with just bounties in it. So I don't like it. Are you going to replace or something? 
If they don't replace it, do not take it out. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And what's your favourite Christmas sweet? Probably Heroes. Roses. Eat layers. Not celebrations, anyway. I actually don't like the celebrations, Tim. Um, roses. Yeah. Roses and the heroes are our two favourites, anyway, in our house. And the chocolate Kimberleys. Just dinner. Mars bar. Um, Mars bar, um, I'd say Mars bar, too. The bounty. Heroes. And my black magic, I love. Yes, and Leonidas. <laughs> The nice ones, yes. But they took all the nice ones out of Black Magic a few years ago. They did the fudgy ones and they were crunchy. And I think, yeah, they took out the best three of them. They took out the Black Magic, so I'm disgusted with that. <laughs> I like Cadbury's Roses, and I'm disappointed that the coffee has been taken out of some of them as well. They're traditionally Christmas, aren't they? Roses and celebrations and all these things. Oh, roses. We love roses, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a quality street fan. I absolutely love Christmas pudding, and we have several Christmas puddings. I'll be starting them shortly. All of them. You have to eat them all. Christmas is about putting on as much weight as you possibly can for January, so as you can't go to the gym then and lose it all again. Long live the bounty. Sure it's Christmas once more. Well, maybe not quite, but we're getting there. Had a good look at the uh, Brown Thomas window there at the weekend. It looks lovely, jubbly. I see Casey's were putting as it was passing there yesterday. It was the day before. They were putting the final touches to their Christmas windows and what have you. Uh, thank you so much because a lot of people texted on this. Love the bounty always. Um, and the dark chocolate bounty particularly, uh, says Paul in Cove. Oh yeah, I love that. My favourite is also the bounty. I totally agree with you because I said earlier in the week, if they want to take something out of the celebration box, let it be the Milky Way. That's a shocking week, sweet, that. In relation to celebrations, they should definitely keep the bounty and raise the stakes and actually add the red bounty, says Shane. And a final one on this for now. Will you tell Neil he's not the only one that loves bounty sweets? I love them too. Well, would you believe it? This is amazing, isn't it? Talk about coincidence. Just as I was talking about bounty in the celebrations box... You got a press release, Kevin. Literally. I mean, it's serendipity. It's it's seriously weird. As uh, Claire's Fantastic Vox was playing there, we just got an email. And for those of you who don't have the love for Bounty, well, you, you might have your head turned over the next couple of weeks because uh, the, the new festive ad from Mars will feature uh, Mr. Mr. Bounty as he leaves the tub but is then found for and cared for by a kind elderly woman. Uh, the spot urges Celebrations fans to show their support for Bounty before before it's too late I, whoever said Milky Bar doesn't belong in the celebrations tub like some of these people need to seriously get their taste buds what are you talking about Milky Ways are for children they're not baby sweets absolutely not they're fantastic sweets they're my ear you might take the Milky Way out or take the Mars out it's if you want just so a, you say that's, that, like, so that's like saying no well the double decker just take the nougat out of the double decker it's all about the nougat like. are you saying that, that um, bounty and celebrations have reversed the decision and leave the bounty so in the tub so as far as I, I'm literally just reading this as I'm as I'm getting now they're so winding they're, they're, up that's they're, they're doing a big ad basically about uh, a, a kind of taking Bounty a, being evicted Bounty being evicted again. out of the tub so they're looking for people to try and uh, support the Bounty Bar and make sure that it stays in the tub of celebration so that'll be on over the next couple of weeks so if you don't have any love towards the Bounty perhaps the ad might change your mind or maybe it'll just reinforce it still that a celebrations tubs look better without the Bounty they do in my ear I don't know what the hell is going on here but you're the man who says that there's no I'm 
not taking any opinion from your view about chocolate when you're talking about Milky Way like that. I refuse I, to. I tell you, it. I tell you one thing, and it's good to start a program on a happy note and a light-hearted note because God knows there's enough doom and gloom around. I was doing a bit of shopping at the weekend, and I decided, you know, I start buying bits and pieces for Christmas, right? So I bought a box of uh, USA Assorted. I prefer them to afternoon tea. You know, the tin of USA. This assorted. is another point of. They're a much better. We'd have an of. awful Christmas if I was in your house. I don't know if I'd just be going around and giving out a bunch of biscuits in your sweet selection anyway, I brought, and buying me home. And it's got sellotape <laughs> around it, so it's sealed and everything. So I brought it home and I said to it home, I'm going to start buying some bits and pieces every week now and put them aside. So I bought a box of USA Assorted and I put them up on a high shelf inside in the kitchen and everything. And <laughs> whatever way I came across it, I noticed that the um, sellotape was off it. <laughs> Was t- it was taken down so I took the, the lid off this is only like three days ago yeah. three days ago I took the lid off it and the entire top layer is gone ah stop and they're, and they're kind of like one third down the bottom layer <laughs> <laughs> are you the kind of person though that when you f- look for the top layer like you know you can't find what you want you're, oh, ta- yeah. you're taking oh, the top yeah. layer off and no, you're having no a little no problem with that oh see no that in that. our house that's, a, that's not that's frowned upon it's, that's frowned upon behaviour you get through the top layer and then you can go to the bottom layer it's my wife told me a story when she was young alright herself and her brother Jerry he won't mind me telling the story either their mother had a um, a box of um, I guess it was afternoon tea whatever the case may be but the, the mother and father were out at probably a GA coming or something some meeting so my wife and her brother decided that they would raid the biscuit tin so they very carefully took the sellotape off right and um chomped away on maybe a third of the box of the USA or the afternoon tea and they re-sellotaped it again right Mm. said nothing of course Christmas came along then a few weeks later and their mother opened the tin of USA of afternoon tea to find that a third of the box was missing down to the shop she goes (laughs) like a demon complaining that she was sold a box that wasn't full of, of biscuits so that nobody could understand they were saying it can't happen it's impossible I mean it's controlled by weight I mean every box is the very same she said well here it is I took off the sellotape and one third of the box is missing so that box was replaced it was years later that they admitted their crime <laughs> anyway I think though you know you've adult children when it gets to the point where Christmas sweets you know the way before you, when you're young it's very much these are for Christmas now and if you touch it you know they always you, come up whereas the way, when you get older it's kind of look if if you really don't mind it's kind of the idea of like when you get to a point where if you start horsing into the Christmas sweets you can replace them as an adult child you oh, kind of totally. know you've reached Aye. adulthood oh, when totally. you, you basically horse it and be like right we'll say nothing we'll buy another box down in Tesco you, you couldn't do that when you were younger well maybe <laughs> if all of these things weren't allowed to be sold until the first day of December maybe or the what is what is they used to call it the farmer's Christmas, Christmas. Yeah, say the, 8th of December is yeah. it? December? that's, that's yeah. the rule we should have yeah. nothing, nothing should be before sold before the 8th of December 8th of December well there's people bust. people near I don't know about you there's people near me have their Christmas lights up and all and ready to go and they're flashing away they don't have a tree up is. do they I, I don't know what it looks like in the inside but definitely on the outside all the Christmas lights but are but you up. know something why not that's what I think negativity too. out there I if agree. you want to do it go for it back after the break get it off your chest call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104106 Red FM. Yes, indeed. Just one final thought on this. Uh, Mr. Tato has uh, just decided to put out, uh, pose a question as to whether or not people would fancy bounty flavoured Tato for Christmas. 
Mr. Tato says, just putting it out there. Bounty flavoured Tato for Christmas. I'd certainly try it. I certainly would try it. Not so sure that I'd like it, but then again, you never know. The sweet and the savoury might well work. Anyway, text 0868104106. Don't forget your opportunity to guess on our five-star giveaway, courtesy of ourselves and Sound Store. They're celebrating the opening of their new retail superstore at Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. So €10,000. One caller yesterday got one of the voices correct. I can't tell you which voice, but she got a 100 euro voucher. So we, um, we, we don't know which voice she got, but we know that one of them is correct. All right. But there are five in total and whoever identifies all five and it will happen. It might take time, but somebody will eventually will win 10,000 euro that they can spend in sound store this side of Christmas. It's a fantastic prize. Have a listen. <laughs> I love Corks Red FM. I love Corks Red FM. One more time. I love Corks Red FM. 10,000 euro to be spent in Sandstorm. And I'll tell you about some of the things you can buy a little later on this morning. Uh, yesterday, very busy day. In fact, talking a lot of um, accident and emergency issues and our health service in general. And I ran out of time. But I do have calls held over from yesterday. And one of them was an unfinished conversation with Nurse Linda, who was on the air yesterday. And I asked, could I just finish the conversation with this morning? Happy to say that she's available to do that. Linda, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Is that phone line okay for you? It is, yeah. Is it okay? Can you hear me all right? That's better. It's better now. So you you nursed in emergency department. Um, yeah. You uh, were listening to many of the conversations we had of late, just recapping on some of the things that you were saying. Um, you said you also have gone home crying. It's a very difficult job. Um, what do you expect when you go to the A&D when so many people from Cork City descend in it? I, I wonder, are you thinking that maybe some people who go to A&D shouldn't be there in the first place? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm, like, I mean, and that, that, I mean, and I think everybody knows that, you know, um, if you've got a medical card, you know, why, why go wait for your doctor? And some people don't even have a doctor. So, you know, it's up into the A&E. And, and therefore, you, you've seen people there who don't belong in an A&E, should go to the doctor, should go visit a pharmacy or a chemist, is Oh, my it? God. Absolutely. Yeah, without a, without a doubt. I mean, I, like, if I was inside in triage, like, I could count my hands, you know, like, if you're very, very sick and, you know, you, you more than likely need an ambulance, you know, Um but that that's not necessarily so either. I know very sick people go through come through the triage system in the front. Um but yes, there is a lot of people who don't need to be up there. Okay. Any there idea is. what what they might be there for that they shouldn't be there for? Oh my god, it could be anything from um getting a, a um a splinter under their nail. That that has come into the A and E. Um, you know that that type of injury. You know something that you could even do something as well at home. Well, now we'll have a splinter under the nail because that can be infect get infected. But you know there there is there there is a lot of people they they do they don't even think about it. You know and like we have our regulars. You know we have our regulars and that's you know it's and like and we'd often we'd be inside the tea room and we'd say you know God I haven't seen so and so in a while or you know, whatever, because, you know, we have our regulars mm, who come mm, in, mm, you know, mm. but, but it's, it, it, but that aside, you know, since the pandemic, um, really since the pandemic, no, it was chaotic before the pandemic, you know, it could be chaotic. Um, 
<clears throat> and it's just as now. You know, and, why would you, why would you have people saying that there'd be one doctor on in an A and E right across Saturday? I was and going Saturday to address night. that. I was actually going to address that. There is no way, no way, and I can categorically say that would there be only one doctor? Yeah, but the nurse told the patient that there was a lot of backup. There could be there was only no. There could be. There could be no. Well, she could have been um, relaying to for that area. You know, like there's different, we've we've got different kind of areas, different kind, um, yeah, different areas. In, you mean in there'll be, when you get into any proper, there will be more doctors in there? Oh, absolutely. There's there's doctors, absolutely. So we have our pediatric doctors, you know, like looking after the kids, Of you know. But people are um, waiting 15, 20, 30, 40 hours. And longer. Yeah. Yep, so they are, like, they are, yeah. Because there's very it, little to it, praise it, in this, like this system is broken. Absolutely. And do you know something as a nurse who, who worked in the A&E for 15 years, like, and like we went on strike before the pandemic and I was on the airways about this, yeah. you know, I mean, the more people can, that, that they can see this, what, what's going on, you know, behind, you know, in our city, you know, what we have to put up with every single day. And it's not until that you, you actually have an experience with this. You, you know, you'd often hear, oh, my God, you know, I didn't, I, I've heard, you know, they could be listening to, you know, I heard it on the Prendival show, and, but I didn't realise it was this bad. Yeah, yeah. You it know? People need to hear. Like here, here's a nurse yeah. from a nurse who trained in the CUH. The care is crap yeah. because of all of the nurses from overseas. I'm not being racist, but these nurses mm. haven't a clue. They can't communicate. They won't do the doctor's rounds. They won't answer the phones. They're very badly trained overseas and force our, us Irish nurses to do most of their personal private work too, like deal with their relatives and sort out their mess as if we haven't enough to do for ourselves. Patients, if you don't know it, only want Irish nurses and, uh, and, and even if they're not your patient, they will beg the Irish nurse to help them. I mean... That's kind of alarming, and uh, that's well, I'd, I'd love to know. Like, that is ridiculous. And and I and I and I mean, I've worked with foreign nurses from from the get go, and you know, there's some of them, and actually not some, most, if not all. Are fantastic, but there's no communication problems, or is the training as good? No, there is. There is. Like, there's no. There's no doubt about it. That the communication problem would be, like, for example, like my, if like for the elderly, I would think, you know, that they might find it hard to understand, you know, and especially with masks on as well. If there's, that's, there's a, that's a huge language barrier, huge, because a lot of the elderly, and not just the elderly, people who have got hearing difficulties, they used to lip read. And, you know, as well as the, the doctor talking, the lip reading, that would help. But well, that nurse, I mean, because I heard that as well yesterday, um, now... There is, look, look, there's Irish nurses like that. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, is there a reason why uh, so many international nurses come to work in Ireland? Well, um, well, from what I know, apparently, it's the money, the wages. That's what I know as a, as a, as a nurse. Okay, so the, so the, the the job attracts them by virtue of, of the salaries paid as much better salary, than their own country. But yeah. what is happening with Irish nurses or people wanting to be nurses? Well, if you want to be a nurse, I mean, I trained as a nurse at, at the age of 32, 
you know, if you want to be a nurse, you know, you go, you know, it's, it's like if you're in leaving cert or whatever age, you can, you know, you can become a nurse if you want to. Yeah, but if, you know, we're in, if we have to import or we have many nurses coming in from overseas, that means we have a shortage. Is, uh, is it that they are leaving the country or we have less well, well yes we are getting them leaving the, the country but they always did and, and that's that's hysterical you know I, I know mean, it's, it's crazy now the amount that are leaving it's crazy it's not <laughs> and they're not leaving because there's no work there is work they're leaving for other reasons they're leaving I mean come here leave Neil if I was newly qualified and I was working it's not it's not because I'm working because of the, the work in Ireland I'd go away abroad as well of course I would and go off to Australia and 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 get you know a few years experience under me. Of course I would, you know. But I I mean I went train I was training at thirty two, thirty three, and I had a child, you know, and so I couldn't go. And you know, but but you know it's it's but it's, it is historical um, with that with with nursing in Ireland. Well, it's not. Historical, no, I think it's worse now than ever. Not. I mean, they're they're poaching big well, it's time. Well, not worse now. than well, no, it's not worse than ever, Neil. Like, how is it worse than ever? Ah, well, I mean, you see, they're even setting up stalls and stands now in supermarkets and shopping malls. There's 48 sheet billboards across the city asking nurses and doctors and everything to, you know, get, click on this website and come work on us. Australia and New Zealand. I never saw that before. So there's an awful lot more well, going. Suppose, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah but, but I never saw that before because it, it, because it's only new. <laughs> you know, and I mean, if I was a new, if I was a newly qualified nurse, if I was just qualified and got a year a year experience under me. I would be gone. Out the gap. Yeah, but they're gone Out because the they're caught in a blizzard when they go to work every single day and they're going home crying and overworked and they feel they're not making a difference and they want to make a difference. So they're, that's why they're going. Well, it's not. Well, how do you know that's why they're going? That's it, not why they're going. It's not. You know, I mean, I know a lot of nurses. and I mean, actually, the, the year I trained, the majority of those girls are actually in Australia. And they had, they didn't even have a year's experience under them in Ireland, and they went because I mean, if I was a young Irish nurse as well, I built the gap. Yeah, but we can't be training our professionals just primarily for export. That makes no sense whatsoever. Absolutely, no, it doesn't. They, they, you'd be better off saying before they start nursing or start medical school. Listen, if you want to be a doctor or a nurse and you intend to go to Australia, our advice to you is to go now and do your training there. Well, sure, if that's the case, so why, why don't you say it to all the, the, the electricians that, like, are, are people who are training to be anything? True, you know? that's true. You know, like, that's that's not fair. That's true. Like, you know, and so, and, like, again, if I was a newly qualified nurse, and I'd a year, like, you know, usually you do a year on, well, you usually have about two years on, do I would be out the gap and it would be nothing to do with Ireland, nothing to do with the nursing in Ireland. Okay. It would be experience. Okay. But, and, you know, but I can understand, like, and I have met, like, course, and it happened myself, that you would be upset going home from work and you'd be more than upset. You could, you know, you could be verbally abused you know and you know physically I can't say I was ever physically abused mm. I can't mm. verbally yes you know from both patient and relative mm. Mm. you know and you know because they're worried they're stressed they're anxious they're in pain they're sick they feel as if they're not getting seen or getting treated well I actually don't mind I actually don't like something I don't mind the patient 
they're in all fairness, like if they're elderly, and they don't have to be elderly. I'm just, you know, they're in an environment that they're not used to. They're in environments that, you know, they're they're terrified or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And you do your best, you know, to comfort them and to be there. And you know, it's in actual fact for me. I found with the pandemic, when there was no visitors allowed. Right, you know, it do, it it did give us it, it gave us a huge kind of breathing. Ground. I can imagine, yeah, I know, you know, yeah, that's only and, natural. And, but, yeah. yeah, but I can understand. I mean, like listening to, but like listening to people now yesterday, and you know, um, the bystanders, bystander um, standards of people who are signing the um, ED, and. Like, you know, and some of the things that were said, you know, you know, fellas going around with their tra- in grey tracksuits with blood in them, you know, and they're obviously, you know, from assault and whatever. Like, and, you know, and they're, and, you know, they're, they're you know, perhaps nine in the morning, you know, get that chair, you know, I want that chair, you know, yeah. like from the I never said that to an elderly it, patient, not knowing that her yeah, daughter like, was around the corner. I want no, that chair. Yes. I want that chair. Well, I, well, we weren't there to, to witness True. that. Okay. But okay. I don't think a nurse would go over and say, I want that chair, like, get off that chair, you know? And, like, when I hear things like that, I can understand, like, Neil, I can understand people getting frustrated with the ED and the waiting and all that. 150%. Because the family of mine were waiting. But so and but I I do understand. But what I don't like is when people come on air, you know, and they're you know they're like give stories like that, which you know um, you know get off the chair or you know fellas going around in their bloody tracksuits. Well, there could be a fella going around in a bloody tracksuit, but he could be a builder after coming in. Yeah, possibly. You know, yeah, but he also you know, could be a scoby from the city who's been involved in some kind of a fight. You can be sure yeah, that there's a chance of you that. You could, too. yeah. And like, right. and that, and, but you don't you don't go around like just, just because like if that's the case, I mean, gee, because they're all going to say that about all the patients. No, I, nurses, I know that nurses can't differentiate between whether somebody not, was in a fight not, or in a, bank, know, a building accident. I know that. And, and and then another thing that was said, you know, about going up to the ED, like, you know, that, you know, somebody's sick and they need to go to the hospital, you know, and it was something said like, um, you know, that one would think that it's a relief, not a threat, you know, to be go, to, to go up to the ED. Like, nobody likes going to hospital or nobody likes the, the fact that, you know, that an ambulance has been called out to the house or anything and they have to go to hospital. But like, and like to say, you know... That no, no, personal, people shouldn't, I mean, yeah. look, people should not be in fear of going to hospital. Whether not it's at an all, alien, but no. The, but many people are because they know what awaits them and what's ahead. That's the reality of it. Well, it is, but it's not a threat. Okay, all right. Let me talk to John. Thank you, Linda. Happy to have caught up with you again this morning. Thanks for standing by and finishing the conversation. John, good morning. All right, Jenny. How are you, bye. Good, my man. Okay, what, 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 what did you see? No, remember, uh, you got a text or a fax the other day I speak about a nurse and she was contemplating suicide now, yes, thing with her yeah, two children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That maddens me, Neil. That maddens me, like. Sweet Tracy, in all fairness, like, that girl shouldn't be in that position. No, and, and there's, there's some good news there. This actually was um, a story from up the country. Um, uh, actually, it was from County Offaly. Her local councillor, the independent councillor in Offaly, a guy called Ken Smollin, 
has got in touch yeah, with bye. that nurse and her children um, because she's having problems with bills and even trying to put food on the table and is contemplating doing something that nobody wants her to do. He's been in touch with her and already, already they have, in the short term, delivered um, a lot of food to the home. So it certainly won't be a food problem. And they're going to they're gonna address some of the issues it in regards to her It reminds me, it shows me language only, but yeah. it maddens me, like, you know what I mean? Like, that poor girl, like, you know what I mean? And she walking her ass off, like, you know what I mean? Like, and what the hell is the government doing about this, like, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. We, we chatted some weeks ago about that little teenage girl outside McDonald's. How old did you say she That's was? That's right, yeah. 15 yeah. years of age, I need. Yeah. 15 years of age. Yeah, yeah. 15 years of age. And I, uh, I tried to do my best for the girl. I got her no bother. And, uh, Have you seen her since? I mean, in all fairness, need. You know what's happening in this country now, like, they're letting in too many as well, like. We're only a small country, like, you know what I mean? We, we can't cooperate with like. Yeah, we had, a bit, we, had a, we had a problem in this country long before we took in refugees, though. We really did. And we had a problem with our health service long before it, too. And nurses also had a shocking hard time of it long before people started to come here. It's just worse now. And I tell you, no need. I got I've had a problem, all right? I got pains on the chest the other night. I was afraid to go to the hospital. I did take two weeks to have tablets. Yeah, yeah. And I shouldn't be doing that, like, you know what I mean? Living in fear of going into the hospital. I know, I know. Yeah. All right. I'm after hearing so many stories now on your show as well, by about the hospitals and everything, the way it's gone. Let me catch up with some texts after the break. Look after yourself, John. Back after the break. Okay. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Texter says, I work in the CUH. I'm out on maternity leave at the moment and I'm sick of the thought of going back. It is so stressful. I'm a healthcare assistant. I've worked in the CUH for the last six years but the amount of times I had to pull foreign nurses and healthcare assistants is ridiculous it's like they don't have empathy for anyone I've had to fight with my co-workers to get them to feed their patients I got so stressed trying to make sure 35 patients were okay and fed and got to the toilet that I had to go out on six weeks stress leave I've addressed this to my manager and the admins but they don't care the admins don't care about their staff or their patients well-being so there's no talking to them Ten of my co-workers, and this is in the area she works in as a healthcare assistant, ten of my co-workers have left in the last few weeks. That's just in the last few weeks alone. Keep those texts coming. Many people responding then to my conversation with Phil on the air yesterday. Thankfully, Petty O'Brien has stepped in and a healthcare nurse will visit Phil. Many people wanted to help and I read out a list of people who wanted to step in and help particularly with, um, you know, helping to get her to and from the GP, take her fill out a little bit, clean the house. Isn't it a bad state of affairs when an elderly woman has to ring you for help instead of being afraid or embarrassed during an ambulance? What's the country come to? Your audio from a conversation be played in the doll and they should hang their heads in shame, says Evan. Text 0868 back after 10. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. A little bit of housekeeping for you. I was doing a paper review earlier in the week. We were talking about a basket of uh, items that were bought and price comparisons since February. And the basket of shopping uh, was compared between Super Value and Aldi and uh, Dunn's and 
Tesco and Lidl and they tracked the prices of an awful lot of staples and uh, parts of the uh, press release I read out on the air uh, when I went back and looked at it again I didn't read out the entire press release it's actually very confusing they talk about some prices going up on some items others down and then they were comparing the different prices as they were tracking them across uh, the, the year uh, since February I may have inadvertently uh, mentioned uh, at one stage uh, that uh, well let me let me just put to you what the clarification needs to be it was to do with um, that shopping basket and Aldi got back in touch and they said to me we noticed in your paper review uh, on uh, I think it was the 7th of November possibly Monday's programme a recent article in the Independent that cited on the prices of a basket of goods in a number of supermarkets that is correct uh, your conversation in particular the claim, the claim that you made on the basis of what you read out, you can probably work out where you should be shopping. Well, that gave an inaccurate perspective to the story, says Aldi, because you failed to mention that Aldi remains the cheapest of the supermarkets cited in the survey and that the basket of chosen goods is cheaper in total uh, than any of the others. Um, we believe that's not the impression the Commons gave. Perhaps you could clarify it. Happy to do it. I nearly had a pain in my head trying to go through all of the different prices and the comparisons, what was up and what was down and the, the whole shoot match. So apologies for that. At the end of the day, uh, Aldi came out cheapest in that survey. So happy to clarify an update on that one. Uh, text 0868104106. Please don't give out my details, but I'd love if you could thank a few people for me. I went into a pothole in Little Island on Friday evening, destroyed my tyre. There's no spare tyre in my car as it's new. No cars have spares anymore. I just don't get it. I mean, it's so important to have a spare tyre. But they, they say, you know, something to do with the weight of the car or keeping the weight down or something like that. I don't know. No spare. Anyway, the kindness and generosity of the men who stopped to help me and my daughter has restored my faith in humanity, including the tow truck driver and Daisy's tyres in Blackpool. They all went way over and above and beyond to help and I really appreciate their kindness. I hope you get to mention this. Happy to do it. And it's always great to have some, some good news. And there's some positive news as well from the A&D with all the doom and gloom. I wanted to share a happier story from CUH. On the 12th of November 2016, now bear in mind this is five years ago, I was rock climbing on Myrtleville Beach and I fell 15 feet and I had to go to the A&D in CUH. I'd been chatting to my now partner online on a dating website, but any time we tried to meet up, it's just never worked out. Next thing I know, who walks into the A&D? Only him. Feeling brave after receiving medication, I walked up to him and I said, of all the places in the world we finally meet, did it have to be in the A&D of the CUH? We became very close in there. I had broken my spine and needed surgery. He was in with complications regarding lung disease and he used to come down to me any time I didn't have a visitor. He was getting out a few days before me and he came to see me and said when I got out, he would come to see me every week. I honestly thought he will, yeah, but he did. He used to come up with cakes and wine and buy me dinner. Now, almost six years later, we're still side by side. So that's a lovely story. If nothing else, they found love in the A&D, which is great news. Anyway, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Let me go back to the phone lines because there is a sit-in, uh, the Cork Hostel Living Campaign. I was telling you there are something in the region of 30 to 35 protests planned right across the country, the back end of the weekend, across the weekend. Well, some protests have already begun. One on Side. Martina, good morning. Hi, Neil. Now, um, this is breaking news to me, so you'll have to fill me in on, and everybody listening to exactly what's going on. This is the Cork Costa Living Campaign. Where are you guys? 
We're in the Borgosh office in Cork Airport Business Park. Okay, how many of you? Seven of us from the Cork Cost of Living campaign. Okay, what is that? Sitting in reception, is it? Yeah, we're here at the Borgosh office. Okay, and tell us why. Well, we're occupying the office here to highlight the massive price increases. Uh, it's been five times price has been hiked since uh, 2021. And at the same time, uh, in the first six months of 2022, you have board, board gosh making profits uh, rising 74% uh, to 39.5 million euro. So basically we're... We're highlighting that that is not acceptable at a time where people are struggling to heat their homes. And when you when you look at even the bigger providers of those that give it to the likes of Borgosh, your Shell and your BP and your Exxon, they have obscene profits also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we just can't, we can't justify it at a time where people are, it's not just energy, it's everything. Food is going up. Uh, people are struggling to, to fill their cars, uh, heat their homes, uh, childcare costs, all of it uh, combining together and people are, are really struggling. So we're basically uh, making a point here uh, today at these offices to highlight the profiteering that's going on um, and uh, encouraging people to come out to uh, the Cork Hospital and protest this Saturday, 2 p.m. on Grand Parade to say uh, enough is enough and we're not going to accept this and we're going to fight back. Do you think the protests make any difference? God knows you've had an awful lot of them down through the years and things don't seem to improve as a result. Well, I think things have improved depending on what you're talking about. I mean, um, the water charges. That was uh, a long time ago, Martina, though. Massive ones uh, have been gained by people, ordinary people struggling, you know, but What's important is that it's not just one protest, you know, is that we actually, you know, ordinary people in communities, workplaces get organized to fight uh, for better services, for better wages, for price controls, for instance, which is something the government could do, but they won't do it because they don't want to take on the, the, the company owners and shareholders and the profiteering that's going on. Um, have Borgash asked you to leave or is it just peaceful there or, or what's going on? Yes, they don't want us here, um, but we're not planning on uh, causing a big fuss. We basically want to make a point um, and highlight what's going on in terms of not just Ford Gosh, but the energy companies uh, in general, you yeah. know, the profiteering. No, I know, I know that, but I'm just wondering, how, did, how, how have they responded there? You're not there to do business or to pay a bill or anything. Have they asked no, you well, to leave? Have they said that they'll call Gardee or anything like that? They haven't, but they don't want us here. Um, so we're going to finish what we want to do and then we're going to leave. Okay. How long will you remain? For uh, an hour. Mm, okay. Okay. And are you planning to go anywhere else in the coming days or weeks besides Borgosh? Because there are a lot of other energy providers besides them. No, we're not. We're, it's not just about Borgosh. You know, we're using this to make a point. Um, uh, but the, the fact is that Borgosh profits have risen in, in the first six months of 2022, yeah. <clears throat> like I was saying. So, but it's linked to all energy companies, you know, and the profits that they're making. But we're not planning on, uh, you know, doing a tour of all of them or anything. Okay, we're, okay. We're okay. making a point here today, but the point is linking it to the protest Saturday at 2 p.m. on Grand Parade, encouraging people to come out to that to fight back. Bigger numbers make a difference. You're encouraging anybody that's in a position to be on the Grand Parade at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon to be there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, much obliged. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks for the heads up, Martina Stafford, Cork uh, Cost of Living campaign in the offices of Board Gosh this morning at the Airport Business Park. Back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show. Gold winner for Interactive Speech Program at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Court, Red FM. No, it says I had occasion to be in the uh, CUH in June in the cardiac unit and the care that I got was second to none. Uh, I think one of the issues we've been dealing with, though, is A&E, the situation in A&E or the emergency department. I'm a nurse qualified since last year. I was a mature student. I work very hard. I'm exhausted after every shift. The pay is awful when you consider what we do. If I didn't have a family, I would emigrate because conditions on the wards due to shortage of nurses is intolerable. Uh, morning, my father-in-law passed away in similar circumstances to that man's on the air, that man's father being taken off his cardiac meds by mistake. The doctor spoke to his wife afterwards and she said he was old and said to her, he said he was old and he's not as if he was Michal Omerhertig as if to say he just wasn't important. It makes me cry every time I even say it. Uh, serious lack of empathy if that was said, and it's not that I don't believe you. And then cleaning up hospitals ahead of uh, political or politicians visiting, the smell of fresh paint. It's the same in nursing homes, Neil. They put the correct number, if not a surplus of staff on, and everything will be so clean and tidy when they know a HICWA inspection is due. It would be great to see more unannounced visits to see situations as they really are normal times, normal situations, then we'd get an idea. And so would the politicians. Yeah, well, they don't. Everything is tidied up and cleaned up and everything is ship shape and Bristol fashion. Anyway, text 0868104106. You want to know why young people are listening? Uh, Josh is standing by, but for leaving, I should say, Josh is standing by. First up, Ash. Ash, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are we? I'm good. Uh, why are you going to either Australia or Canada? Um, because the just the support we've been given as students in Ireland has been absolutely ridiculous. Even in terms of accommodation, the fees, it's it's just not livable conditions. Okay, what course are you doing, incidentally? I'm doing social care. Okay, that would mean you qualify as a social worker? Social care practitioner. Okay, would that be with Tusla or would it be in a private setting or, it, or what? Um, it would be with Koru. Gotcha. Um, so you're in the middle of uh, a what, like a three-year, four-year, five-year course or what? Uh, four-year course. All right. And talk yes. to me about that, um, about pay, conditions and work. Well, um, in second and third year, we have to do 400 hours each, so 800 hours total. For my first placement, it was in the height of the COVID pandemic and it was in a healthcare setting. I had 12-hour shifts four days a week and it was completely unpaid, whereas the student nurses, and this isn't to comment on them, they did incredible work, but they were given at least even some travel money, something to help keep them going. But the social care students were just kind of thrown out into the but worst I, of the pandemic. And, and how, do you, how do you survive then while studying? I was lucky that I got to stay at home with my mum. But if it wasn't for that, because a lot of students in the second year, they had to drop out because COVID was too bad. They couldn't afford the fees. There was no accommodation. So the class went from about 90 students, we're down to about 60 and another student has recently dropped out. Right. And is there any kind of subsidies of the course, you know, like there would be, say, in college? Um, there are some. The Student Assistance Fund is a fairly decent one. But there's so many students applying for it that you may not get enough to keep you going. And there's no accommodation assistance unless you get the, um, unless you get the SUSE grant, but you have to meet... There's criteria, criteria for that too, yeah. 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 
So, but, oh, when you, you but, but when you get through it, let's say, for instance, you manage to get through it and qualify, um, why, why leave then? Because it just feels as though even the housing market, it's ridic- there's no chance that I'll be able to buy a house anytime, any day soon. Odds are I'll be renting a ridiculously expensive house, more than likely living with one or two other people, mm. just in the hopes of affording it. Mm. And that's, see, that's not fair. Yeah. Before, before that was fairly normal for a period of time but it wasn't for the rest of your life you ultimately like we all we all house shared I did as well back in the day but it was it was part of you know part of the journey now it's just the journey isn't it that, that is the journey for me though it was part of your journey but for me yeah. even calculating all my wages that I'll get when I go into the workforce next year I will not make enough to rent a house on my own yeah. I will have to split with another person yeah yeah, yeah, and is the general consensus of many people on your course, your social work course, started out at uh, eighty, I think, it's just below sixty now. Is is it their intention also to leave the country? For a lot of us, I believe it is, because we just cannot, we can't survive in the conditions that we've been given, and especially now because Coru is making so many new guidelines, they've made it all so last minute. So in order for our college to be accepted by Coru, we ha- we have to be in class for a certain amount of time, which is perfectly acceptable yeah but at the point where now i'm sick i am very sick i have a cough and a cold but i had to leave the classroom just to take this call and i have to leave throughout the lectures i am wearing a mask and i'm sitting far away yeah. from the other students yeah. Yeah. yeah but if i start not coming in that means if i miss enough days i will not be allowed to graduate there's no medical cert there's no sick certs there's no bereavement if you miss a day it's counted towards the total and if you miss an off that fit, you're not graduating. It doesn't matter about exams and results. I know. Okay, well, you've highlighted how difficult it is just to get through the course. But after you go, will there be work for you, say, in your chosen field, your qualified field in, say, Australia? Are they looking for you? Absolutely. Australia, Canada and the UK are really looking for social care practitioners. Yeah, but how do you know it'll be any better there with regards to the cost of living, cost of housing, the cost of rent? I mean, the climate would be nicer. I get that in Australia and Canada oh, nice summers. <laughs> what? I'd prefer the cold. <laughs> well, at least that's some consolation to the cold in the Canadian winter. But, it, I would, know. you know, I, I know of a lot going to Australia, for instance, because the lifestyle is better. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. But it wouldn't necessarily mean that it would be any kind of better pay, you know? Uh, completely. But between, I think it was beginning of the pandemic until up until now and until next year and the year after. I will keep an eye on the cost of living compared to the rate of pay. And then decide as to where you decide to go. Yes, but odds are I will not be in this country 10 years from now. You know you definitely won't. I can't afford it, no. Okay, okay. All right, let me talk to Josh. Thanks, Ash. I'll let you get back into class. Josh, are you looking at Canada, is it? Um, Yeah, there's a few countries, right, that just look way better in Ireland, to be honest. Okay, just move around a little bit. It's a bit of a a muddy phone line, but uh, you're doing social care in MTU, is it? Are you in second year? Yeah, I'm in second year. Okay. And do you do have to do an awful lot of unpaid work as well? Yeah, like I placed an outcome up for 10 weeks, which is unpaid, which is a bit stressful, like, because you have to do your job on the side as well. You're not getting paid. So it's just, it's a lot to juggle at one time, like. Okay. So that would be for a 10 week period, is it, where you'd be working? I think uh, it could well be in an autistic setting, for instance, or working with youth uh, no, reach. I did, that. Uh, I did that last year, right? Um, which is great, crack. Um, good, good to do. Like, but I'm doing new reach now this year. But like, there's nothing here for there's nothing here for people my age. Like, 
or everything set up for us to fail, really. Like you, the housing crisis, the cost of living, even then in college then, you're not getting paid for placement. So it's just all kind of a build-up, really. Um, when you say it's all set up for you to fail, are you you're talking about the bad... Like, what will you qualify as when you're finished after the four years? Um, so, yeah, it's social care practitioner, but there's a good few different areas you can go into. You can go into disability... Um, home health you know there's lots of different areas Okay and have you any idea what the starting salary would be for something like that? Well the averages here seem a lot lower than the averages abroad and stuff Yeah you've looked so, at the comparisons then Yeah Yeah And why Canada? Um, just the quality of work life and life itself just seems better over there Yeah Like you go into places now any area of work and people just seem miserable and you have everyone going away and enjoying themselves and yeah and you know there's nothing really here like the mortgages you can't afford a mortgage you can't afford to rent you can't really do anything really like yeah and everything is so expensive yeah and would there be many of your pals who are thinking the same say just like Ash are are they also planning to just go abroad well big time I know people who've already gone over already and even close friends and family around my age they're all saying the same thing we're all planning on going like and have you spoken to those that went? Where did they go? Um, so there was Canada, Australia. There was a few other ones out there, like Austria and stuff like that. So like and even if you have to learn a language to go away, then yeah, that's yeah. all. Yeah, well, your Australian, New Zealand, Canadian option doesn't require a language, really. Um, but no. have, have you been in touch with them as to how they're settling in? Yeah, they all got jobs fairly fast. And like social care workers get headhunted by... Australia especially because we're the first country to actually professionalise social care. So everyone's actually taken our lead, which is probably a bad thing because we're usually followers of the country. To be okay, honest. so you're in demand then, say for instance in Australia. Are the, are the wages better for your pals who have gone ahead? Are the wages better and indeed is the rent lower? Um, the wages are better. Uh, do you think the cost of living seems to be pretty bad there as well? But they just have a happy quality of life, to be honest. In what way? Like their social life, is it? The climate is better, they're, you know... It's everything. They just said the people are just happier and less miserable, to be honest. I know, I know. And for a young person, of course, that's very, very important. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with going away and, you know, trying yeah. something new. You know, I mean... It, it, like, you even see it with the student nurses. Like, I know of student nurses who've gone away, they get up at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning, they're doing, like, three, five-hour shifts, and they have to then go to work and... People basically just turn into robots. They're just doing the same thing over and over until the person's done. They're not fully enjoying it and they're not fully experiencing the area they want to be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better opportunities overseas. Your term, set up to fail, uh, that's a good way of putting it, unfortunately, for young people. Is it any wonder that they're uh, heading overseas? Thanks for taking the call, Josh. Appreciate it, buddy. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Um, just picking up on uh, issues regarding our health system again. Go ahead. Well, I was listening to you there on the, your radio show a while ago, and yeah. no, there was a lot of negatives in that and about hospitals and patients and stuff. But I was very, very ill last December, twelve months. <clears throat> I was very sick at home for eight or ten days, and I gave another twelve or thirteen days. In the ICU. What was wrong with you? Do you mind me asking? I had COVID. Okay, so it resulted in you being in ICU. 
Yeah, for 12 or 13 days in oxygen, yeah. Okay. And I was very, very ill. I lost two and a half stone weight. My hair started falling out. To this day, I can't drink coffee. I suffer fatigue. But, like, the nurses and staff and doctors there were unbelievable. Starting with our own local GP, Dr. John Lynch, could not have been more helpful. Came to me suited and booted. What other doctor would do it? Absolutely excellent. Yeah. And that, from, from home to the ICU, and they were so good, I'd there was a change of guard every eight hours or whatever shift they were with me, and there was one staff nurse there in particular, his name was Owen, and just he gave me the will to get out of it. Right, was it touch and go for a while? It was, I was very, very ill, I drowning pneumonia as well in, in both lungs. God, you must have, and were, you, were you conscious through all of it? Not a lot, I was in and out of it, I was, um, I wherever I was over some few days there, I met a lot of people, and when I came back out of it, there were people that had died. So they would say to me here in Bantry, buddy, we heard you were very bad. Yeah, I said, I went to the gates. I said, I met an angel, a lovely blonde angel, but I said, I go home to my own angel, Bridget. Isn't that amazing, <laughs> I, the experiences you had when I, you were... Yes, I had, yeah, and... Um, out. It took me a long, long time, Neil, to get over it. I'm yeah. still not over it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate I, that, but people are want people want all of the health service to run as compassionately as and efficiently well, no, as it does in some time, wards. That time there was a fair lot of pressure on in COH. There was. There was a massive amount of pressure on in the ICU, and I could not, I could not but praise them from prof, prof, from prof, Professor Plant. Down, yeah. absolute down yeah. to the domestics, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I see. And I just yeah. said I'd like to say that because, and if there's if Owen, that staff nurses out there listening to this, I'd like to say a special word of thanks to him because I mention him so often. And if I've someone in the taxi, I'll say, do you know this Owen? He he's from Middleton somewhere. Yeah. I said I've him to thank. He was well. so good and supportive. I couldn't, and as I said, from my own GP here, Dr. John Lynch at Newer Surgery, Newer Medical Centre, they were absolutely Okay, brilliant. well, that's a lovely boost. That's a lovely boost for the staff who looked after you so well in the CUH. You're, you're minding yourself now. You're still not right, though, I, are you? I'm not right. I'm not right. I'm back, but I'm back about 70%, but I get, I suffer with fatigue, and I'm very open to infection, you know? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And I know. Uh, it's just nice to, you know, when you hear so much, I know everyone have their own tale and everyone have their own illness and everything like that, but I I can only speak for myself from the care I got from the bed here with my own GP to being in there. Nice one. Okay, kind but words. Yeah, thank you for that, buddy. Look after yourself. And thank you. Look after yourself. Cheers. We bye were bye. talking actually bye. about long COVID yesterday. 90% of people of uh, long COVID patients um, uh, haven't regained full health, according to a study from UCC. They're not returned to their pre-COVID health level yet, 90% of them, which is pretty much almost all of them. They looked at a study of a 1,000 of them. You're looking at fatigue and uh, palpitations, chest pain, stomach upset, nausea, memory problems, brain fog, muscle pain, joint pain. A lot of people have issues now that are severely limiting their ability to carry on their 
daily activities and work and what have you. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're highlighting in this report of which UCC was part of the, uh, the COVID-19 can have significant long-term effects on multiple organ systems. Uh, and there's evidence now that we need more, really and truly more treatments for people with long COVID that don't exist. Uh, you know, you talk about everybody from housekeeping and from catering all the way through the different la- layers of, you know, the, the medical profession. I got an email actually from somebody working in housekeeping and has been since uh, for many, many years now. Uh, works in CUH and uh, a few years ago, support staff at CUH, CUH took strike action for better pay and conditions and for more recognition for the jobs that the different individual departments do on a daily basis that might not necessarily be deemed medical. Uh, so anyway, they're, they're SIP2 members and they were they wanted to have their jobs re-evaluated um, and move through the grades and be treated properly. So in November of this year, the job evaluations, as in now, have finally been completed. Uh, and the worker within the housekeeping in CUH tells me um, that it's fair to say that many support staff received an increase in their pay. But housekeeping didn't and they were left unchanged on the pay scale, even though the workload in housekeeping within the CUH has greatly increased since the beginning of the pandemic. And this contact says to me, we handled the waste and hazardous materials. We were truly frontline. My colleagues and I had to face a lot of stress and upset. I don't think I've ever seen my colleagues so afraid, yet so brave at the same time. And for us to be treated like this, as in unchanged on the pay scale band, We really feel like what we did and still do is not being recognised and we feel used by the HSC. When the HSC were happy for us to be frontline heroes, all was good, but boy, did they get their money's worth from us. We're only looking for what was originally promised and to be paid what we're worth. Don't even start me on SIP2, who are happy to be associated with the frontline heroes heading up their campaigns, but they didn't show up in person to let us know that we didn't get approved for job re-evaluation. Uh, It was shop stewards had to tell us, with no support. We've been told there is no appealing this decision. If someone committed a crime, even be on trial for murder, and are unhappy with their sentence, they can appeal it. So why can't we? No disrespect to the hairdressers, the barbers and the beauticians under the HSE. They went up two pay grades. But hospital cleaners, in the thick of it, got absolutely nothing. This issue needs to be made public. We're worth more than we than this, and we deserve more than this. Um, then uh, that worker who works, as I say, within uh, the housekeeping setting, as in you know, cleaning and work like that, sent me the different pay grades and the different pay scales, and sent me the ones sent me the ones that actually did go up, um, and their one stayed exactly the same. She had an awful lot that were on level three that now go to a new band of level two, which means there's more pay in it. Some went from level four to level three, and that means that there's more pay in it. And they included caretakers, porters, labourers, hairdressers, beauticians, barbers, speech and language, therapy assistants doing occupational work, security guards, general operatives, drivers, transporting patients, um, you know, minibus drivers, van drivers, porters and other drivers. All of their bands got changed, which resulted in them making some more money. But unfortunately, hospital cleaners and those in housekeeping, nothing at all as you were. I mean, as an outsider looking in, that seems very, very unfair. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Andre, good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, okay. Now, you're, you've got a, a tourist visa, and then I think you also have a, a work permit. Is that right? 
Yes, that's correct. Uh, I apply for work permit uh, before I decide to take tourist visa and go to Ireland. Okay, from where? So now, when I was in, uh, from uh, where? From where did you come? I come from Belarus. Okay, good man. So you decided to do what before I came here? You are uh, you you're a qualified engineer. Yes, correct. Okay, and you wanted to move here to work. Yes. Yes. Okay, okay. So tell me what happened. So the situation is that uh, I have applied for a work permit when I stay outside of Ireland. And uh, after I applied work permit, I decided that I will visit uh, Ireland uh, and I will wait for work permit um, here in Ireland. I took tourist visa, visit visa. I arrived to Ireland and I received my work permit. So now when I'm going to immigration, the immigration is telling to me that they not will register my work permit for the reason because I'm here in tourist visa. But I explain to immigration that I apply for work permit when I was outside of Ireland. So the immigration now insists to me that I have to get outside of Ireland to obtain employment visa D okay. and then to come back to Ireland and register my work permit. Okay. Which is, which is, yeah. So you don't actually have the work permit. You're here with a tourist visa. I'm here with tourist visa and I have work permit for critical skills. So what's the problem if you have a work permit? Why don't you just work? This is my question to Irish government. What is the problem just to register me and allow me to go to work because the employer is waiting for me. Everyone is waiting, you know. Okay. And you have a critical skill that you can work at here. Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. What can you do? I'm the civil engineer with the project management skills. So I was invited by employer, uh, Irish employer here to uh, execute the project. And actually I cannot start it because this is sure same experience. Okay. Hold on a second. Cause I think I got a pal of yours, Philip. Philip, good morning. Good morning. Neil. What, what am I, what am I missing here with regards to Andrea? It's, it's a complete joke, the whole system in Ireland at the moment, um, Neil, because he's after obtaining his work permit, he's here on a visitor's visa. All he's got, to, what he's to do now is get it changed to a work visa, which then kind of ties in the whole system. Well, what's the difference between a work permit and a work visa? The visas, his travel documents, or I suppose, like, technically... To be a, you have your work permit, but to be able to use your work permit, you have to be on your work. It's a stamp D, they call it, on your work visa. Right. So everything, I suppose, you know, he's able to travel. And suppose I needed Andre to go to England for me to do a mission. He'd have no problem then, trans, uh, you know, to go over to England and back, and there's no problem. But he can't do that at the moment because he's only on the visitor's visa. Okay, so what has he got to do? Go outside the country for a period of time? to get the working well, and, visa. And, and they don't even know what they're talking about because I think they're wrong in what they're stating, yeah? Like, if Andre has gone to Anglesey Street, he's rang Dublin, he's, he was sent to Fermoy, he was, and then they're sending him back around the whole route again, like, I mean, it's gone around in the circle and no one is taking accountability. No one wants to make a simple decision. But surely you shouldn't come here without a stamp D, though. But no, he, well, he came here with his, his, he was here on a visitor's visa. He obtained his work permit here. And this, this is a kind of, um, it, and I don't even think it is a rule. And if it is a rule, it's a joke. That you have your work permit gotten, then you have to leave the jurisdiction. And so he, he can't go back to Belarus because of the problems there. So he can't go to... What are the problems there? 
Well, Andre, I'll fill you in now on what it's like for a normal man to be living in Belarus. Andre, what's it like to be a normal man in Belarus? Uh, are you asking me? Yeah. Yeah, I have the political persecution in Belarus, and thanks God I get out, escape from Belarus at the time when I was not arrested, because many arrests is coming in Belarus. So I think that, I am not think, I'm sure, 100%, if I will come back to Belarus, they will arrest me for the political issues. And what will they do? Will they sl- slap you in jail, is it, because you have um, political yes, opinions that don't yes. agree with whoever's in power? Yes, I do not agree with the Belarusian government uh, for the election was produced in uh, 2020. Yeah. Because it was, yeah. it was blamed to, to Belarusian people. I was participating in a number of uh, uh, meetings, march, march in, inside of Belarus, and I was catched once. I was sitting 15... 15 days in jail, then they, then they release me, and now they get another uh, another um, activity to arrest people who already was arrested before. So I get out from Belarus, yeah. and I'm happy that I get out at the time, and I avoid these arrests. So now, if any country, I can go to request for the employment visa, I can go only to Belarus. And if I will come back to Belarus, I, I will be uh, arrested. You, you side, can't go. That's what they're saying you have to do. Go back to Belarus, get the D stamp. But if you go back, you'll be arrested. What, what about, so you, you can't even go to the Belarusian embassy, can you? Or do they have a consul here? No, no. I even don't want to, to, come, to be in contact with Belarus, Belarusian embassy because I don't want they know where I am. You don't want them to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. This is, this is a tough game, you know. Yeah. So how are you surviving here? Oh, I, I was living in Ireland in, from 2003 up to 2010. I have obtained many Irish friends and uh, people just, Irish people very honest. They they very, they very well to supporting me. They offered me to the money, to place to stay. Like I'm, Irish people is amazing. Did you work here from 2003 to 2010? Yes. Yes, I was working here. I paid the taxes, everything is correct, but now I just get trapped in the situation that immigration not accepted me. Okay, but if you were able to work there, work here then, why aren't you just allowed to continue to work now? Uh, I don't know. I have to ask uh, immigration office about it. Immigration office cannot explain it to me. Yeah. Philip, have you any idea why he would have been able to work here once and not now? Well, he worked for Waterman Engineering, the biggest engineering company in the world, in Dublin for four or five years, has his PPS number, has his public services card. Imagine that. He's after obtaining that since he arrived. And these these people, like, for whatever their agenda is, won't simply say, listen, go do your work, you're in critical skills. I need him for a job that I need, and I need it done ASAP. And it's not been allowed. And I paid a thousand euros to obtain the work permit for him it's beyond a joke and what, what would happen if he just worked I mean he has a PPS number yeah, what would happen if he just started to work yeah, I say that to Andre Andre you should just go and work and, and, but again Andre just wants to do everything by the book and make sure his passports are stamped he doesn't want to because he feels down the line that if, if someone catches him and he hasn't got the appropriate stamp that, that, that he won't be able to be staying in the country that thing is and very he, confusing you can have a PPS number but can't work I mean, because you don't have the particular stamp, although you worked here before. So what's going to happen next? That's the morning question. I'm going to meet the Andre in town later. We're supposed to go back to Anglesey Street. As I said, he's emailed Dublin. Dublin emails Max. No, no, you're in the wrong place. You could go back to the local office. 
Then the local officer will say, you have to go here. We rang the immigration officer above in the airport. No, no, she says, go back to Anglesey Street. I rang Anglesey Street. No, no, no. Like, and I emailed him myself. Andre has emailed him. No replies back. I mean, it's 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 shocking. I can't salute a straight route, Neil, but... Look, I don't know. That's why we went to you. Maybe that you might highlight it and maybe someone would wake up and just do their job. Or if they don't want to do their job, just leave the job and let someone okay. think that who will do it. Okay, no, I mean, I'm happy to have the, the quick chat with you because we'll get in touch with Simon Coveney's office, if you don't mind, and share the plight of Andre, yeah. okay? And that might make a difference. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Let's see what happens, all right? Yeah, Not a bother. Okay, so we're we'll back to you if we have an update. It'll be later on. Appreciate you taking the call for now. Text 0868104106. Calls and texts on the way. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, back to calls, texts, and emails. But our five star giveaway continues. It's a 10,000 euro prize, courtesy of yourselves and Soundstore Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. Cork's uh, Red FM has put together five celebrity voices. When you look at them all together, they say, I love Cork's Red FM. And this is what happened yesterday. I love Cork's Red FM. I love Cork's Red FM, but who are they? Dahi O'Shea, Sinead Kennedy and Doyle Laura Whitmore, Brendan Gleeson. I have good news for you. You got one. (laughs) Great. You got one, which means that by getting one, one of those five guesses is correct. Doesn't entitle you to 10 grand, but it, it does entitle you to a 100 euro voucher, all right? For one Super. voice, correct. Fantastic. Take Thank care. You. Well done, Karen. So, Karen, yesterday got one of the five voices, gets a 100 euro voucher for, for Soundstore, but there's a 10,000 euro jackpot if you can identify all five. So, our lines are open for that 0818104106. I should be able to get maybe three or four guesses this side of 11. Haven't listened to the five voices. I love Corks. Right. FM. They're dialing now if you think they, you know who they might be. 0818104106. Meanwhile, just staying with this, Maeve. Yes, I'm here. Okay, yeah. so I was just but chatting that's, there that's with the Andrew. Man. Yeah, it's kind of it's confusing. You can be here with a work permit but not be able to work. So, what's... It's what? actually, it's actually a standard thing. When you're applying for a work permit, you cannot be in the African country. My son is in the same situation. He could walk into... The Caribbean islands where he's going to work on a tourist visa. But you cannot be in the country when you're applying for a work permit. Well, how come so he's, he got, he don't, he's got a work visa, though? Andre. No, he needs, a, he needs it. Oh, yes, but it stopped this year. It's from some time back. Because Max got one for last year. But then he was told, no, 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 you've got to have it done again. So for him he to be able to work, what, what, will, what will Andre have to do? To be out of the country. He'll have to leave. Okay. Okay. And so my son is stuck. He's sitting in Puerto Rico waiting for the work visa to be finished. And then he can go into the the islands that he's working on. Okay. What will he do in the Caribbean then? You know, when you hire a boat um, to go island hopping, whether it's in the Greek islands or the Caribbean, you you hire a boat and a skipper. And Max is a skipper. Oh, so he has his, his, his license for skippering boats that take passengers. Fantastic. But he cannot enter. He's going to the British Virgin Islands and he cannot enter the country until he actually has the work visa process. And how long will that take him before he'll be able to go and work and skipper boats? It depends completely on how fast the guard of vetting here finishes. Last year he had to wait three weeks before it was done, but this year he's hoping it'll be quicker. 
Okay. You have to sit and wait. You cannot sit. It's a standard thing when you're applying for a work permit. You cannot be in the African country while it's being processed. Yeah, but do, so I understand. Nothing, it's nothing against Andre, it's just the way it works internationally, I think. Yeah, but I, I just don't understand why he already has a work visa. Well, Matt had one last year, and he was told, no, sorry, uh, it's got to be this year. So he'd have to leave Ireland and stay out of the country for a period of time while it's being processed, and you don't know how long that could take. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that's standard. It's not. It's it's an international standard, as far as I know. That's a fantastic job, Max. House. very interesting job. Fascinating, but it's a big responsibility. You're working seven days a week, maybe seven weeks in a row, until from the first person, you might have eight people on the boat who might never have sat in a boat before. I know. And you're heading off out there into the winds and into the seas and everything. And in Greece, it's more difficult because the winds are horrendous at times. You're sitting huddled in a harbour waiting for the wind to drop. But the Caribbean is easier. Sounds ideal. I know you're going. I know you get bad weather, but what a great job, you know, to be uh, skippering <laughs> boats for a living in the Caribbean. <laughs> Love to chat with I him know, when he's yeah. sorted. It'd be good to catch up with him. Okay, he might be back. Well, if he gets his work permit finished. He'll be back in six months. Okay. All right. No, I'd love to chat with him when he's out there, if you can make it happen. Just let me know. Come back to me. Let me know how things go. Okay. Cheers for that. Take care. Thanks, Maeve. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. All right, let's see what we can do. 0818 We'll take a few guesses this side of 11. Liz is in Glamour. Liz, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Good. 10,000 euro, courtesy of ourselves and Sound Store, Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. Have a listen to this. I love Cork's Red FM. I love Cork's Red FM. Tell me, whose voices are they? Neil, would it be Casey Taylor, Michal Martin, Gavin James, Miriam O'Callan and Louis Capaldi. Nice guesses, girl, but unfortunately, no, none of them are right. But do keep trying, all right? All right, take care. Let me get on to Sarah, who's actually in the Cove Heritage Centre. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Is this Neil? 10,000 euro to spend in Sound Store. Have a listen to these voices, please. I love Corks. Right. FM. What do you think? I think um, Anton Dick, Neil Kennedy, is he so busy? Uh, and Doyle and Brendan Gleeson. Is he so busy in there as well? I have to say, interesting yeah. guesses, but not today. Okay. Not today. I tried anyway. You certainly did, and do try again. Okay, I'll leave it there for now. We'll do another few blasts of it between now and midday today. These are the three voices. If you get them all right, you will win €10,000 that you can spend on anything you want within Sound Store in Middleton. One last listen. I love Corks. Right. FM. Five star giveaway with Sound Store for everything electrical. Just before you go, Sepp Blatter was he a former boss of FIFA, wasn't he? He's the, the head honcho. Yeah, he said yesterday that giving the World Cup to Qatar, although it was about what 10 or 12 years ago, was a mistake. Yeah, and who was in charge of FIFA when they gave the World Cup to Qatar? Sepp Blatter? Yeah, he's like to blame everyone else bar himself. It seemed like it's such a weird build up to this World Cup. You would never think that the World Cup is starting no, on Sunday week. No, you would week. not. You would not. Zero buzz. There's so Sunday many games week. still happening and it's happening on Sunday week. And everyone I'm talking to is just kind of gone, eh, shrugging their shoulders about it. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's not because Ireland aren't in it. It's no, that it's they're talking other things. I mean, you had, 
uh, Qatar World Cup ambassador now saying, you know, that homosexuality is a crime and it's a disease of the mind and things like that. I so the focus is very much off the soccer. Yeah, definitely. I think when Qatar was announced as the host, we all went really seriously. It, became, it was very apparent that it was all about money and not about who should be hosting the World Cup. I mean, Sunday week. Sunday week it's happening. It's, wow. a, it's a winter World Cup, so I think that takes a massive part of the appeal away from it as well. And it's just like... I know. No <laughs> buzz. Zero. All right, my man. Cheers. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. Okay, uh, by text and by email. This emergency welfare supplement ads that I'm hearing on the radio is nothing but bull. No matter how many hours you work uh, or if you're already in receipt of a welfare payment, you can apply if you are struggling to make ends meet. Yeah, right. My husband has several medical conditions, attends four of the hospitals in Cork for appointments and is under three hospitals in Dublin. Mother of God, seven hospitals. I'm a full-time carer for my husband and my three children who are all on the autism spectrum. My husband received disability payments. Over the past two years, we've attended Dublin several times for surgery and checkups. This year, we really struggled to pay for diesel for journeys up and down. So we tried to get help with this. We had all of our receipts and a letter from the doctor to say that it would be ongoing as my husband will need continuing surgery. Now we get a call from Dublin two or three days beforehand asking us to attend clinics and that's as much notice as we get. We had €150 left in the bank and we were told to budget for our trips. Then, out of the blue, last Thursday, the door from the extractor fan comes off and smashed the top of my cooker. We cannot use it. I have an indoor single ring camp stove to cook for the family with now. An indoor single ring camp stove. The cooker we have is 14 years old. It can't be fixed. It's an old model. And we're being told by social services to get service engineers, reports, etc. to confirm that it can't be fixed. This will cost another €100, which I don't have, to get a service engineer's report. I also have to get quotes on cookers from three different suppliers and email them as they're not seeing people at the moment. The loops they make you jump through, as in... Social services aren't seeing people. The loops they make you jump through are just ridiculous. Yet they hand out grants for a thousand euro to other people for electrical appliances for their homes. I got that from a supplier I spoke to who had eight people in that week alone with grants from social. Uh, says Rachel, who's very angry to hear adverts with regards to emergency welfare supplement because when she needs it desperately, they can't get it. Others are suggesting that it's pointless protesting at board. Gosh, people should be protesting at the CUH and the management should be taken out to see the blood and bandages and the suffering that people are going through. Somebody else says protests are a waste of time in this country when you have a divided country. The people of Ireland have the power to change what they want to change if they could only stand side by side and fight together for what is right. Uh, Final one on this. When people see their gas and electric bills in January, the government will have to bring forward another budget. They are the shareholders. I'm a nurse in the A&D. My daughter is also nursing. I nursed in London and also in Australia, always as an A&E nurse. Every country has its issues with their health system. In Australia, there is a massive heroin issue and Aboriginal people are not treated well. Their focus is on the quality of life, but because the shifts are not as long as we have, there's massive pressure on their system. The only upside to, say, nursing in Australia is the weather. I'm back in Cork now and the A&E is packed with sick kids that could be triaged elsewhere. 
and also those high on drugs and drink. The amount of abuse we get is not from those seeking genuine treatment. It's those strung out on drugs or drunk. That's where the anger comes from. The comment regarding the foreign nurses practicing is very disheartening to hear. These nurses are top of their game. The Irish nurses need to remember that they're treated as foreign nurses when they're out in Australia or any other country. We should judge others with the same barometer we would like ourselves to be judged. So in a nutshell, faraway fields are not always greener. So there's that and lots more besides. During my pregnancy, this time last year, I wasn't feeling great. The GP wasn't happy, so he gave me a letter to go to the A&E in the CUH. I was eventually seen by a triage nurse who did her job very well. She wanted a bloods done, blood pressure checks, etc. So they sent me on to another room where I was met by two overseas staff members. As I sat on the chair to have my bloods done, one of them turned to me and said, So, we know you have cancer. I nearly went off in a weakness. I don't know where she got that misinformation. She didn't apologize or make anything for her F up or you know, make anything of it. It transpired that I had gestational diabetes, which was treatable and manageable. Moral of the story, they don't have a clue. My God, because you're the fright or the shock you get sitting there to be told that you have cancer. I mean, particularly if you were hearing it for the first time and it was wrong. Uh, are you actually trying to blame a few young fellas for the mess in the hospitals? Um, I was in A&E in the Mercy. One doctor was on all night. Two more came in at eight in the morning. Cop on, Neil, and do some research for the love of God. I'm saying that it wouldn't be as overloaded as it was if it wasn't for young people in there strung out on drugs or covered in blood or gashes or bruised because they're fighting. I don't, I don't see what's wrong with that. Not everybody agrees, though. Uh, I'll come back to the other ones. Positive medical experience. My mother-in-law in her 70s dropped something heavy on her foot. Uh, on Saturday. Sunday morning is very swollen, took her to the Mer- Mercy Urgent Care Clinic in Bakers Road. We were in and out in two and a half hours. Another bu- person says the best A&D, if applicable, is St. Mary's in the orthopaedic. There's no wait times. Uh, get private health insurance and go to the Bonds um, for hospital. Each patient there has about two nurses. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, and one final one. This country's basic human rights needs under Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have gone beyond bad. Whilst top qualified personnel are leaving in droves, our doors are open to the world to come in. We have a health system that's broken and a minister that's invisible. Violence is constant in our cities and towns with little guard of presence and sentencing is equal to a slap on the wrist. Most young people will never live independently here due to policies by these political parties. And to cap it off, The changing of the guard in December will put Varadkar as leader and he's just another part of the mess. Lots of texts. Keep them coming. Back after the break. Text 0868-104-106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Back to a topic that we've been dealing with that had to do with uh, foster parents. And, you know, um, to be absolutely honest, the vast majority of calls and emails that we've had were from very genuine foster families and foster carers who, to be honest with you, do a huge amount of hard work 
and feel very undervalued. But then in the space of our conversations from time to time, we also got to talk with people who had been through the foster care system. I have to say not all of them uh, were all that very well, that kind. In the case of, say, Michael, for example, it was nothing short of slave labor for him, his brothers and sisters for all of his life. Yeah, on hold, I have Laura, who also went through the foster care system. And I think that you got morning to you, Laura. Thanks for taking the call. No problem at all, Neil. I think your your original contact was because you were listening to Michael's story, wasn't it? I suppose when I heard first some of them, the, the lady, I don't know what her name was, mm. when she said it was about, you know, for her, the kindness out of her heart, love and children need this, that and the other. I kind of broke down listening to that because I was like, oh my God, I wish I'd had that. You know, so there is very genuine people out there and that's when I was like, right, I need to ring in. And, and what, yeah. <laughs> so what So what did you go through? Uh, I know, for instance, the original went into care at nine months of age. I was a little baby, yeah. Um, when I was born, basically, like, it was, I was born in 1981, so my parents weren't married or anything like that and even back then, kind of, So it was kind of frowned upon and there was a lot of mental health stuff as well with Mm. them. And my grandmother carried me from Blarney Street out to Balavihan to my cousin, who would have been my mother's first cousin, who was actually a registered foster carer and had adopted children and everything, and brought me to her and said, look, they can't take care of her. They're not married yet and they just can't do it. Um, But you ended up living with your aunt for a period of time. Uh, my my mother's first cousin, so to be my second cousin, yeah. So okay. there'll be um, a big age difference. I was actually brought to them. Like first, my mother was in Besborough with me, um, and then I went on to my grandmother. Took me herself in her arms and literally walked me all the way out there because they had a very very small house in Blarney Street. So she took me to my cousin. Mm. Um, Did you stay long there? That's the problem. Um, I could have had so <laughs> if and buts and ways. I could have had a completely different life until my biological father kicked in their door, demanding to see me and was putting them in fear. And for my own safety, they had to move me on. And that's how I then actually came into the the real foster care system. That's yeah. tragic. That is just Absolutely. tragic. You, you feel you yeah. would have been so, so happy with your extended yeah. family, but that wasn't allowed yeah. to be. So, at a very, very... And they even said themselves, they, sorry for calling out, yeah. they even said themselves to this day, if that had never happened, she'd still be with us to this day. Like, and well, you, not at my age now, but, what, you know. What were, your, what were your earliest memories of all of this? Was was it then, or was it you went, when you went to the family that you stayed with for, for 13 years? Um, I don't really have, like really really early memories I have one or two which might sound a bit strange to people but I remember them um, I like I remember being in a cot I know the memory doesn't develop they say till four or five but I can remember before that obviously I don't remember arriving in social workers arms or anything like that but I remember being in a cot and my foster mother coming in and me putting up my arms to be picked up and she just looked at me slammed the door and walked out I remember the colour the room was blue um, I didn't hear any talk about what colour that room was because we moved from that house four years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I just always remember them being, I just remember there being a lot of animosity and jealousy there and just constant tension and stress and shouting. Um, 
just I don't really remember anything positive. I know my foster father loved me to an extent. I was told by my foster mother herself that when social services brought me to the door at nine months old, she knew I'd be troubled. She never wanted me, that it was my dad's idea to get me. I mean, come on, I was a nine-month-old baby. Um, and those words have never, ever left me. They've scared me. Like um, She said that when I came along, my dad took it upon himself to kind of take me under his wing and love me even more, which he did, but he got in trouble for it. And I was told that um, my eldest foster at the time that she was his pet before I came along and I then came along and I ruined everything. Oh my and God, yeah. And that's why and her yeah. daughter hated me. And you're so caught, I didn't have to go there. You're caught in the middle of all of this. I think, yeah. I think also yeah. um, from a very, very young age inside in that door you could tell that there was no love at all from your foster mother. That was made very clear. None. Uh, oh, very clear. Absolutely none. I remember no hugs. There was definitely 110 percent no hugs. No warmth. You're not allowed to talk about your feelings. When you do, it's brushed under the carpet. It's your. It's invalid. No stories. Things I do with my own children. You know. Um, just I just remember being planted in front of a TV on my own, or just like we'd be going down to the shops, and she'd tell anyone and everyone, even people we didn't really know. She's not ours at all. We're only minding her for her parents. She's only a foster child. But she, yeah, she would say. Th- she would say those words to people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right in front of me. And do you believe, I I know you described her um, earlier when we were chatting as a narcissist, uh, that she was was out there telling the community how how brilliant she was, this kind of inflated Mm. sense of her own importance kind of thing, yeah? Yeah, as I say, like, as we all know, like, charity begins at home, um, but when you're not doing it at home and where you should be doing it and you're out in the community doing A, B and C, um, it's just hypocrisy for, for, to me it's, it, it sickens me I have dyscalcia extremely badly you know and I, I wasn't academic as she put it What condition did you just describe the there Laura? Um, pardon? Oh tisca- dyscalcia so it's with time numbers uh, calculating mm. measurements it, it's a pretty hard thing to cope mm. with actually even now at my age now I find it difficult you know sometimes So very difficult um, going through the educational system I'm sure but you know you, very well, yeah very difficult I was kicked under the table numerous of times I was like nine years between me and her oldest daughter and she kept kicking me saying you're thick and um, my foster mother used to wrap me across the knuckles with a wooden spoon or when she didn't she'd threaten to do that um, and I, the other well the two girls got piano lessons and hockey lessons and tin whistle lessons and I was watching on and I asked could I have those too no you can't not until you focus and get better with your mats and your tables Whereas I couldn't, I couldn't do it like. And were your Christmases different to theirs by way of, say, presents and treats and things? Yeah, yeah, 110%. Like, I did get stuff, but then the girls always got more. And I knew that, I could see that. And yes, I was was definitely mischievous and a little bit devious. But Mm -hmm. because when a child knows, they know. And I remember going into her bedroom and she used to keep this big black book kind of a big notebook and she used to write every year what she would buy for us and the price of it and I looked at all of that for I, I think I found it maybe around age 8 or 9 or something like that and I read all the stuff and massive difference I even saw before that like you know 
were the other, were the other kids ever kind to you though because you were growing up with them did they show, did they show um, any kindness one of them did yeah to an extent the older one no never and when she did I remember my foster mother coming up and saying I couldn't believe it so what she doing talking to her for oh, she God wanted God. there to be an ammonite yeah Heartbreaking. And was so yeah. this family were were being paid. Now I know foster care yeah. foster carers tell me it's not for them; it's for the upkeep of the child. So she was being yeah. paid for your upkeep, a significant amount yeah. of money every week. Yeah. Um, I would question it even as a child. Like I was always a very curious child. You know what I mean? I, I think I used to direct her head, but I I knew that even from a young age. And I said, um, "Do you know how much you get?" And I, you you never get me anything. And because I was mad into like comics, you know, like the Bunty, the Dandy, Dennis very Menace. normal things for children your age. Yeah, 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 yeah. I loved to read, like, and I loved those kind of things. And she said, "Oh, sure, no, I barely get anything for you. You're joking me." Um, and I was like, right. And I, I think once in a blue moon, I might get one item of clothing new. Other than that, it was all hand-me-downs oh, from the two girls so or from cousins. So when then yeah. did, did you eventually move out? I think you were about 13 years yeah. of age. I was. Um, everything came to head when I was about 13. I was kind of acting out in school a bit. Um and the school I was in, the primary school, there was a very kind of, the principal was a very, very strict non, like very, very strict. And don't forget my two sisters, my foster sisters were in the school and they were just prim and proper and the sunshine shone out of them. And I was a horrible, rotten foster kid. And that's what I was always referred to as. And so I was pulled aside one day by her even and she said I know the issue is in Swiss um, with your foster parents because the other two are very good this is the nun but I was this is the nun yeah Um, she was hardcore hardcore back then yeah very hardcore Um. I thought in my head, but that's because they're they're real daughters and I'm not. It's, you know, she literally said that. She said, you know, the other two are perfect, you're not. So the problem lies with you. But it was then found that I had um, ADHD and uh, they didn't want to know. They said, it's like my my fast friends, it was an excuse just for a lazy, bold child. One day a social worker, a different one came because they change all the time, you know, so they were, it was hard to even kind of chat to them. So one took me out on my own with her and it was like really quiet and stuff and I don't remember the conversation but I remember her taking me out and I remember my foster mother hating that particular social worker. She made it known to me she did not like her. Um, I liked her. And she was the one that actually saw through what was going on and did say that I was a victim and I was being bullied and she could see the two people that were behind it. So I was believed. Not many saw through it, even, you know, family, friends or people that knew us. It was hard to spot. Mm. But the very few that kind of, you know, wouldn't miss a trick had seen it Mm. and even years later had taught me, you know, yeah. Pity they didn't do something about it in the day. So did you go into residential care then? Yeah, I was um, originally told I was going there for three weeks. Who told you that? Who told you that? Very, all of them, the social worker and my foster parents. And I do remember my foster sister, the one I got on with a little bit, crying, you know, she had emotion. My dad was in bits. The other two didn't care at all. Um... 
I still remember that day, clear as day, just driving off and whatever, petrified, <laughs> going to the unknown. I remember coming back then on holidays and at Christmas, and I remember saying to them, like, you know, it was, it was hell there, um, but I said, I want to go back there. I knew it wasn't going to be a three-week break. I knew I was going to be staying there, and I said to them, and I wanted them to fight for me and be like, no, we want to come home. Or, But no, I said to my foster mother, I'll go back there. Um, and she said, oh, that's brilliant if I thought you were happy there that's great but they kept in contact with me like and you know I'd go home every so often and stuff but it was never the same and I remember going back and all the photos of me were like removed from like the walls and stuff oh my god oh horrific oh yeah, poor thing yeah. you poor thing you must have felt so unwanted all through your young long I was life. so sad I remember the first Christmas I came home after going into care into the residential home I, I think my dad couldn't handle it I know it sounds like I made an excuse for him but I, I did love my dad you know um, but I remember just coming home the first Christmas but it, like the things I was going through down there then was, were so hard and I wasn't really telling them and stuff and I remember like loads of family friends came over you know gatherings at Christmas we always had people in there with the house and I remember just feeling really really sad and confused so I went into the, a different room to watch TV on my own and my dad lost it like because he said he was being unsociable and how dare I not join the rest of them and he snapped and said I'm bringing you back down to the residential home and he brought me back down there and he was down there for Christmas on my own why was it hell there in that residential setting? It was hell there. Like the first morning I woke up there. I mean, you know, other kids were there and they'd have different problems. And But I remember waking up to about three other kids there, like a little bit older and younger, spraying me with aerosols and going rooting through all my stuff and calling me names. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. And during that night, I was woken by a big torch because it was ran by a nun. Um, and it was staff members as well, but it was the manager at the time was a nun. And I remember being woken up by her with a big torch saying, you know why you're here, don't you? And I said, no, not really. And she said, because you're a bold child. Just everything was locked away from food to the TV, maybe because of the number of children, but like... You couldn't just go freely and take something to eat. There was a lock and everything. They built like a wooden thing around the TV with a little kind of a little door to like cover the part where you turn on and off the TV and the channels. Um, That's a jail for it was kids. It's horrible. Yeah, it's a jail for kids, isn't it? But you, yeah. but you, but you never ever went back. No, never went back to them. But like, obviously, there was visits, and I would have been there if it's Christmas dinner, and I kind of would have been included for it. Like, oh, come out for your dinner, but then like ushered out straight away. But that only went on for a few years. But um, the mind-boggling thing is when I went on to have my eldest daughter, they then claimed her as their own. Bizarre, like, isn't it? Said that she's their granddaughter, but yet said that I was I was nothing to them. That's I know you could understand that. Because we're talking about sometime around the mid-90s here. Was the residential uh, centre, yeah. uh, was was it cruel? Were you underfed? Yeah. Was, did it become physical? Um, was there bullying? It, yeah, it was um, 1994, November 1994, I went down there. And there were some nice staff members. And actually, believe it or not, I'm in contact with one or two of them to this day. 
um, and others not so great and the nun was just the nun from hell um, there wasn't the food wasn't great I remember lining up in the dining area and not being a snob or anything but we were lining up honestly it was like something from Oliver Twist it was that movie it was awful we were all lining up and there'd be a staff member at the top like taking from a big pot porridge that she'd been making half the night and just it would just stick to the the spoon when it fell off into your plastic bowl and I was like oh my god yeah it was horrific like it was really disgusting it wasn't even properly made so I'm terrified of porridge to this day I won't even bring it into the house my kids (laughs) would be like oh we want porridge mum I know no (laughs) but um, I remember sitting at the table and there was one of the lads was allowed to have a little dog down there and he had a little shed out the back or whatever and I used to the dog used to be allowed to roam around the dining area and I used to give it to him under the table Um, and I didn't eat I'd go off to school and we weren't allowed mix in the school nearby. The school wasn't in there, in the building, but it was, you'd come out of a residential home, go through a convent, and then into the school. Um, and were you treated differently we were, in the school then? Yes, yeah. It was just from when, just there was nothing ever good, I swear, I think I'm cursing to be honest with you. Um, we were known as the orphanage kids, the orphans. Even at the, at those times, like you know, there, not everyone that's in there would have a parent that are dead. It was just ignorance, like, and you know, we'd go into school, and some of the teachers would even treat us differently. And also, like, what we were made to feel different as well, and for others to treat us like that because we weren't allowed to stay there during lunch hours. Like, I was in secondary school in first year at that time. I was not allowed to mix with the others and have lunch, and the same was for the other children from the home. We had to come back there to the residential place for our dinner and our snack and our small and our big lunch. So we didn't get a chance to, you know, mix and fit in with the others or anything. And one day I didn't come back and a staff member came over and I'm not joking, I was pulled from the ear all the way back from there to... The residential it's home. impossible to believe, you know, it's hard to take in that this was happening in the mid-1990s, that people were in places yeah. of authority and they were treating children like that, as if you had the plague, as yeah. if you would infect other children with something or other, God knows what. There's so much to your story, you know, I have to tell you. Oh, um, yeah, and uh, when I left there, eventually I was in seven foster homes then after that. Oh my God. Oh, Seven not different. due to my behaviour, but because I was told nobody wanted to have a teenager. There was a shortage of long term fostering people who would foster a teenager um, long term because of my age, so that I would have to keep going short term, short term, short term. And it, it just affected me so much. So it must two have had a huge. It must be a two of those what? Two out of the seven foster homes were nice. And the rest were horrific. But at that stage, I couldn't. I was completely and utterly broken. I couldn't settle anywhere anymore. And I was done. And two of them wanted to keep me. And I was like, no, I just got up and I never came back. And the others were just horrendous. And what way were they horrendous? Was it like the first who just didn't show any love, treated you as differently? Cold, cold, um, just cold, strange, um, abusive. So I remember going into one in particular 
and it was a couple obviously and they had two of their own children and there was about three foster kids and I was the next one and I remember just all of us sitting down at the table and they there was no talking they were just all staring at me they wouldn't talk at all and it was the most awkward awkward thing ever like I was, I was like Jesus Christ no one's talking to yeah. me or yeah you mentioned earlier on that somebody yeah. was sacked from the care home um, for mistreatment of the children was that physical abuse Eventually, yeah, yeah, and I would have heard stories about all this stuff, but that hadn't happened to me, but there was physical, yeah. He was very, very strange, but yet it was still fostering then. This individual was sacked, but yet you were still sent to him? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I begged, I begged him when I saw, when they met on the country road, because it was way out the country, and I saw him, and they never told me who I was going to. And then I saw him, and they knew I knew him. I was like, please, please, I don't want to go to him, please. Because I remember when we were in school as well, one of the girls he'd fostered was in the school, and she told us all about him as well. And then he was working in that place with us. And Did she say that he oh, was a sexual predator? She said something around those lines, yeah. And that's just, she had an awful time there, yeah. And what was yeah. what was your time like with him? You don't have to go into that if you don't um, want to. Let's just say he was he was inappropriate. He got the chance to be inappropriate once, and uh, then they're shouting over the food. And when he got inappropriate, the one time that's when I ran. I couldn't settle in, but that's when I literally ran. I bolted it. Did you tell somebody about up. him? I actually rang. I remember using their phone. I remember ringing a staff member who was nice from the residential case where I was. One I got along with who was actually nice. And she was lovely. She was upset, but she said she couldn't do anything about it because I, I wasn't under their care anymore. And I wasn't given any advice on what to do. And I didn't know what to do. Ran. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane to get a response yeah. to that. What a life. At what, at what yeah. stage then did, did you start to pick yourself up yourself and, and live life for you? Um, well, there's other stuff there as well, but I suppose what's very important is when... She's what I when I was about seventeen and I didn't want to be in any of the other places because I was just completely broken. Like looking back, no seventeen year old should be out on their own taking care of themselves anyway. They shouldn't. But I felt like I couldn't take any more. I didn't want to go into any more stranger spaces. I just wanted to take care of myself. Now I was a ward to court. I did have a I had a brother and sister as well who were also in care. Um so I wasn't the only one. I have a younger brother and sister too. So I was awarded to court since the moment, like, you know, I went into care and saw my brother and sister or whatever, but we were faster in different places. And when I was 17, I actually fought the system for that care order to be lifted. Uh, because at this stage now, I I just wasn't staying there and I wasn't accepting with how I was being treated, like, like moving me all the time, saying it's short term, it's short term that's no way to treat someone I felt like a bag of rubbish I felt useless mm. it's affected me to this day it made me feel like nothing so I fought them on that and I remember the judge at the time I don't know can I say his name no you can't but it, because you were awarded court at the yeah. time so I can't refer to that yeah, I exactly. mean, that, that's that, no problem yeah, that, that would end anyway when you're 18 wouldn't it it was going to end at 18 but I just turned 17 mm. but they were thinking of putting it for longer even but I fought it and I went in and I'll never forget his words. He said she, he was fuming. He said, she's the product of your system. Yeah. And he gave me what I wanted and he lifted the order and just put a supervision order where they would watch me and assign me a support worker and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. 
Okay, so you were you were released then, if you like, you were free. What did you do next with your yeah. life? Like being in the care system, not knowing like all my other family and then knowing only them. It was very lonely. I didn't really have family support. I still don't have anyone to this day. I just have my children. I have some cousins. I know some cousins, biological, you know, they know me. But like we didn't know each other all through my life. And the other ones are just completely, you know, oh, we we don't want to know. Like, and they, they hate anyone knowing the truth. I would imagine because of all you've been through, you, you have all of your adult life poured an awful lot of love into your own children. Yeah, completely and utterly. Like, I don't know, it's in my nature in a way, like, but I'm, I I hug them all the time. I'm like, people like, man, get off me, stop hugging me. <laughs> I just, um, yeah, just full of love, like, and just, you know, I'm very protective. I don't know, like, I suppose every parent is overprotective, but I wonder maybe am I too overprotective because of what I went through? I, I don't know, but... Um, when they're old enough, will you, when they're old enough, will you tell them? Um, they, I have, one is in, uh, I don't want to say too much, uh, one is in their 20s and the others are kind of, there's two adults and they're adult children and there's two, one small fray as I call her and the other one is uh, nearly 17. So they, they're they aware of some aspects of my life, they're aware I was in the car and they're aware I've had a bad childhood but they wouldn't be aware of like all the ins and outs of it. I think um, they possibly, I think, I mean, far be it for me to tell you what to do, you're an able dealer but I think they deserve to know as much as you're willing to share. Yes, oh, completely. Like, if they ever came, like, we're very, very open as well. That's one thing. Like, um, I'm very, like, don't ever hold feelings inside. We are a family that talk about everything and anything, anything that's bothering them. They know they can come to me. Yeah. I'm very yeah. supportive. I will always know there's something wrong with them. Um, and I never kind of shy away, like, from the truth. If they have anything to ask me, they can come and ask me, not a bother. And I'll always answer them honestly. Yeah, I'd you say know? because of what you've been through. In your most yeah. formative years, you have a very highly tuned antenna, you know, I would think. I'm very, um, I've, I think I've always been like that anyway, but because of that, yeah, I'm very, very yeah. intuitive. Like, you know, I do have my children, my children have me, but it is extremely sad that, like, they don't have grandparents, they don't have other members of family and that saddens me it saddens them I know it affects them as you say there is a saying that it takes a village to raise a child but like my children like have memories of the eldest going off there on holidays with my foster parents and I don't know why I ever let that happen like from day one they were sticking their noses in and I was kind of being overpowered and stuff and even from the way they treated me like and I was like one day they're going to do that to her I need to protect her I need to stop that and but then my dad would ring me crying down the phone saying how much he missed her and I felt bad there was a lot of manipulation totally yeah there's a complete psychological mess going on in there oh my god how you managed to keep it together a cave a cave no but look at you but look at you now though you're out the other side I mean you could have caved and never come back you know that's it like I, I do a lot of people and I do some days think how I haven't become a raging alcoholic or a drug addict or yeah. when having my children when I found out I was pregnant it was the best thing in the world like that's all I wanted was my own little family it was just everything you wanted, I wanted you know like. what Laura you wanted your own little family and this time you were going to do it right and you have Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been a pleasure listening to you. Sad and all and horrific your story is, it's still lovely for you to be able to feel that you can share it with us and I'm obliged to you for doing that. 
No problem. You're more than welcome. I'm sure I'm one of your biggest fans. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Laura. You're very kind. Mind yourself. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Dale. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Neil's five-star giveaway. With Soundstore, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. Okay, just very quickly, lines are open. 0818 104 106. It's a €10,000 prize, courtesy of ourselves and Soundstore, Middleton at Market Green Realtor Park. Loads and loads of parking. Ten grand you could spend in there, but you first need to identify our five stars. Have a listen. I love Corks. Right. Now we know one of them has been identified. Can't tell you which one because somebody has to get them all correct before I announce who all five are. So these are the five. I love Corks. Right. FM. Get dialing now. 0818 104 106. Have a guess. Have five guesses. Pick up the phone. We'll come back to it in a few minutes' time. Lots of activity going on. Absolutely there is. And uh, there's Christmas magic at Hanley's. The Red Patrollers. Live on the streets of Cork. There's a big day planned and a big night planned at Hanley's as well as they launch their 2022 Christmas range. And they're having a customer loyalty night tonight. And to head it all up, the Red Patrollers are there and uh, leading the pack and leading the posse, your own Colm O'Sullivan. Colm, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I know it's the 9th of November, but can I be the first person, because I'm surrounded by Santas and snowmen and Christmas trees, to wish you a Merry Christmas? I'm actually contemplating playing a Christmas song. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should. I don't have time. I'll sing one. Oh, I'll no. sing a bar of it if you want. <laughs> that sounds good. That's even better. <laughs> What's planned today, anyway, particularly between 5 and 9 tonight? Well, you'll definitely get a few Christmas songs here tonight because they have live music here in Hanley's tonight for their customer loyalty night. They have food, free food, complimentary food, and they have 20% off their Christmas range that they've launched here today because, I'm, as I said, I'm surrounded by Christmas trees and snowmen and reindeers and Santas and lights and all sorts of things. It's a huge Christmas store here, and they have loads of stuff. And I, I love Christmas, Neil, as you know. And they have, they have so much stuff here. It's absolutely fantastic. And I have a 200-euro voucher as well, Neil. So what we're going to do with that is we're going to have a video up very shortly on the Red FM Facebook page and the Instagram page and you can go on there and you can win yourself a 200 euro voucher to spend here in Hanley's tonight maybe with 20% off or any time in the run up to Christmas if you check out the Facebook page and the Instagram page but it's going to be a good night here tonight and uh, I'm going to come out here late and down I think with Christmas decorations myself as well today It's a good opportunity to get a bargain 20% in the Christmas shop and 10% off in the garden shop as well Exactly so lots of bargains as well and I think it'll be nice tonight because they have loads of Christmassy food and Christmas music and that kind of thing and the main man is going to be here Santa Claus as well tonight so that's that's the most important thing Alright so it's for all the family then kids and all welcome Absolutely, the whole lot up here tonight at the customer loyalty night. So I think it'll be a lot of fun up here, and I think it's probably Santa's first official appearance in Cork this year as well. <laughs> a great place <laughs> to start. Then, all right, I let you get on. Enjoy the day. Appreciate you taking the call, Colm O'Sullivan. So Henley's uh, inviting their customers from five to nine tonight for twenty percent all. Christmas products and 10% everything in the gardening department. Santa Claus will be there. Prosecco will be there. They'll have nibbles and live music, live music. And of course, the main man himself. Go bag a bargain. 20% off everything. Uh, lines open. Uh, 0818 You fancy a shot at our five-star giveaway next. Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104 time for those working for Meta Facebook in Ireland. There's about 3,000 people directly employed here and they're figuring that the cut worldwide to the huge 
uh, morgue force that they have around the world would be uh, 13%, which means that 11,000 employees across the globe would go. Uh, and if you do the maths on 13% of what's here in Ireland, that comes in at about 390 Irish-based employees, some of them on side. So everybody's waiting to see how many jobs will go worldwide and more importantly here in Ireland and again here in Cork. I want to say thank you to Laura as well in conversation with her about her harrowing story. Thankfully, she's in a much happier place in her life now, but it took a lot of work and a lot of resilience. So it was nice to chat with her. Thank you for that, Laura. Text 0868104106 if you have your own short story to share. You can always email Neil at redfm.ie. I didn't get to as many uh, texts as I had planned this morning, but I will make up for it tomorrow if you have been in touch because there's been a big contribution on different topics of conversation. But finally, one further opportunity now to do the right thing. Give away €10,000 or at least march onwards towards the ultimate prize. Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. So identify our five stars. You get €10,000 to be spent on whatever you want. That could be the built-in kitchens, the appliances, the televisions, the laptops, the tablets, uh, the Robovax, the Dysons, the coffee machines, everything and anything. You can spend up to ten grand, and God knows you do a lot of damage with ten grand inside in Soundstore. I've got a new electrical superstore in Middleton, but let's get to the phone lines and uh, get a couple of uh, callers and guesses on the air. Uh, Helen is in Toker. Helen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are okay, you? Okay, good. You put a lot of thought into this, I hope. Have a listen and give me your five guesses. Here we go. I love corks. Right. FM. What do you think? 